0: does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q-certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13
1: locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. What is happening on a Friday on what's been a great week here on Query and Company. Thank you so much for Joining along for it, my name is Jake Query. Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company and runs Matters Forest. Jimmy Cook, of course, the company president and voice you hear on this program prominently as well as we get set for the weekend. It it feels like this, and there's a lot to talk about that we're going to get to, but I'll begin with this. I realize, 100% I know and I realize and I'm certain and I'm aware of the fact that we are about to get hit at some point with another blast of winter weather I'm not naive to that I wasn't born at night nor last night and I didn't drive in on a turnip truck or fall off on one but at this point when you get like now you look at it and you're like oh my gosh 50 degrees periodically over the next five or six days so that pushes us now into like second week, February, like February t- into the teens of February. If a storm happens, then Jimmy, it's just easier to deal with. Cause you're like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. As opposed to like on January 5th where
2: you're like, oh my gosh, it's just different, different feel. Right. It is two things. I'm glad you took us here. One. I got a headline from wish TV yesterday. It made me think of you because you talk about how rough January is for a number of different reasons, my birthday aside, but you mentioned that this felt like a tough, cloudy, dreary, guh, January, oh, right? Yeah. It finished as one of the cloudiest Januaries in central Indiana over the last 25 years. So it wasn't just you. Statistically speaking, one of the cloudiest
1: Januaries. That- well, part of that too, part of the reason it's cloudy statistically, like when you look at, for example, Caitlin Clark is honing in on Pete Maravich's all-time college basketball men or women scoring record, right? And people are like, "Yeah, but Caitlin Clark played x number more of games, although Pete Maravich took x number more of shots, right?" That that statistic in terms of the cloudiness in Indianapolis historically for this year is a little skewed because this year January was 74 days long, right? Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it gets weighted there. For- Additionally, you know what today is?
1: Oh, Do I ever? I'm surprised. Eddie Garrison, asleep at the wheel, did not lead the show with the bumper music. You've got to go with the bumper music, do you not, Eddie? I
3: don't know what today is.
1: You don't have Sonny and Cher queued up?
3: No.
2: You don't have I Got You Babe Ready to Go? (laughs) No. Eddie, what day that often gets forgotten about involves a critter? Oh, Groundhog Day. There you go got to go
1: with the Sonny and Cher bouncing back nearly every time that we come back on this program on indeed Groundhog Day now I've always been confused by this and we will talk about the Pacers and the Knicks by the way we will talk about the upcoming Super Bowl it goes without saying and everything that's going on in the world of sports including a nugget from Purdue basketball in just a second but I always get confused and somebody finally explained it to me last year and then of course I forgot I looked it up so you're good
2: Uh, on what I assume you're confused at what it means, whether he sees his shadow Correct. Or now, I filled.
1: believe, so he did not see his shadow. That is correct. Which means spring is... Early spring. So, here's why I get confused. Yeah. If he doesn't see his shadow, it means that there's no sunlight. Which would typically mean the long form of winter. Sure. But my understanding is, if he sees his shadow... He gets frightened by it. He scurries back into his hole and he stays there for a six for six more weeks. Correct. He did not. So today he did or did not he see. He did his not shadow. see his shadow. So he stayed out because spring is arriving.
2: Correct. Or it I could don't be, know about the Heidi hole part. Or it right? could like, be that Phil was just asleep and they woke him up <laughs> and brought him
1: out and he was like, "Look, man, I'm too tired to go back." Right.
2: I, I always thought that they pick him up afterwards and there's like a big symbolic thing that happens. so I don't know if the scurry part occurs, but. Perhaps they got some of that central Indiana uh, cloudiness today. It was last year.
1: I believe it was last year that Mark Dykton pointed out. I think it was in Massachusetts where they have the ripoff of Puxatawney Phil. Uh, And in Massachusetts, it's it's something like Lowell Larry or something like that. And they went to get him and he was uh, unfortunately had passed over the course of the winter, drank a little too much and they didn't realize it until Lowell Larry was unfortunately uh, a little stiff and they realized that. It had been a long winter for him. So it was
2: paxidermy, Larry, at that point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yes, that's exactly what it was. He is still on display, as a matter of fact. Uh, Hey, good afternoon to you. Thanks for tuning in. I want to begin with this. Um, Sad news, actually, in the world of college basketball and the world of sports today. When I was a kid, and I hate to always put it in those terms, but the reality is, and for those that are older than I, they certainly would remember this, Purdue basketball has had, at this point, I think if you had to define the the core essence of Purdue basketball and what Purdue basketball's brand is, in particular under Gene Cady, I think Purdue's basketball brand falls into two things. Number one... For many many years and I'm not saying this is the case today but for many years part of the brand of Purdue was it was the hard hat Purdue Pete type players who through the recruiting process had been overlooked elsewhere and then used that as the Boilermaker fire to try to rise up and overcome and pound away at opponents who had snubbed them and oftentimes Purdue's roster was exactly that. It was guys that came in as freshmen as kind of projects and just worked their tail off and hit the weight room and became Purdue Pete, quite frankly. And I know that Purdue has had a long tradition of great big man players going back to, you know, Terry Dishinger was not a big man, but great player. Rick Mount was not a big man, but great player. And then Joe Barry Carroll in 1980. But he was more of a graceful big man, although he did obviously hit the glass a lot. And then Gene Cady came into Purdue and kind of adopted the Purdue Pete hard-nosed, boilermaker, sledgehammer mentality. And no greater example of that than Jim Rowinsky. Jim Rowinski, when he be- got to Purdue, was not the bruising player that he became in a fabulous season of 1984 where he was the co-Chicago Tribune Big Ten Most Valuable Player but Rowinski was, by the time he was a senior, a bruising 250-pound center. He was six eight, but he just was. Av- he looked like Purdue Pete, quite frankly, and a wonderful. He had an incredible season. And as an as a kid growing up here, he's probably the first true big man that I remember that set in place a a nonstop rotation of big men like that. We, I was discussing this with Todd Meyer, who was. Uh, on campus, at the same time as Rowinski back in '84, and you know you went from and, and this sequential order. I may be erroneous with, but from Jim Rowinsky, and then after him, I remember you know Jeff Arnold, and Doug Lee wasn't necessarily a big man, but kind of a bruiser type, and then obviously you go into Steve Scheffler, who was a fabulous player, and after and these are were guys that you know you watched and you're like. How in the world are they just bulldog, nose down, outplaying everybody else and out-muscling players, especially when you looked at what they looked like when they came in as freshmen? And then from Steve Scheffler to Craig Riley. And from Craig Riley, you go on to like a Melvin McCants. And then from McCants to Brad Miller. And then obviously now in Matt Painter's era, Isaac Haas and Matt Harms and you know obviously now with Zach Eady, Jim Rowinski, Purdue announcing, passed away uh, either yesterday or earlier today. I'm not sure which. He was a native of Long Island, New York when he came to Purdue and just worked his tail off to the point of becoming a fourth round back when there were multiple rounds. Fourth round pick in the NBA. He had a circuitous journey throughout his professional career, but it did last 10 years that took him a combination of throughout the, you know, the NBA and overseas and, you know, back in the, I guess, ABA days, if you will, um, the equivalent, essentially, of the G League. I mean, the United States Basketball League is what it was known then. But condolences if you are listening and you are one who was close to Jim Rowinsky or knew him at Purdue or to his family. I don't know if he has family in the area, but nonetheless, for the Purdue basketball family, um, Jim Rowinsky defined, at least by my recollection, a lot about what it is to be a Boilermaker. So one of, the, one of the great players passing away, and condolences to – Jim Rowenski, and the Purdue basketball family. Um, Last night in New York, boy, I'll tell you what, that was a tiger-by-the-tail game for the better part of it, Jimmy. Did you watch?
2: Yes, I did. And whenever you see, we talked about this end of the show yesterday, whenever you see the injury report and two stars on the other side are out, your eyes kind of light up a little bit, at least whether you're a fan or somebody covering the team of, hey, this is an opportunity to steal one on the road, against one of the rising teams. And at this stage, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference in the New York Knicks. No Gianninobi, no Julius Randle. And yes, it's an important caveat on the Pacers side. Tyrese Halliburton's on a minutes restriction. Benedict Matherin misses his second game. So you're a little bit shorthanded in your own right, but you're able to establish the tone early in this ballgame, hold a 15-point lead at one point in time in the second quarter. The Knicks and Jalen Brunson is just a heck of a player. He often gets forgotten about. For some reason, even though he's in a big market, he gets lost when you think of, name your five favorite players to watch in the NBA right now or the five best players. He gets lost because there's so many stars in this league, right? Totally does, right? Puts up 40 last night. And it's another example of, again, I don't fault the Pacers. I don't fault Tyrese Halliburton. You need to be safe about this because you cannot afford to have him re-aggravate, re-injure and go off of your plan just because you want to pick up one win on the road. It's about long-term with where this season can go. And I get it's a balancing act as well to make sure he hits the 15-minute threshold and make sure he's qualifying still for his all-NBA potential with his contract. But this is the at least third time off the top of my head since he got hurt against Boston early last month where Tyrese Halliburton has either been on a minutes restriction or been out of a game due to injury, and it's clear late that the Pacers are a tick off without him. Because once again, they have chances still late in this ball game to pull off a win on the road against New York, and they're unable to capitalize it. They blow a couple layups late. They miss an assignment here or there. And the Knicks are a great team. But that's the agonizing part about it, is it's tough to get a fully fair assessment of the Pacers right now when this is not even close to what their final form is because your best players on a minute's restriction.
1: Yeah, it is curious, is it not, Jimmy? And, you know, I was walking in today and Jason Hammer asked me this. We were discussing it, and it's a really good question. And I don't know that the answer I came up with is even the right one. But um it's very easy to ask or understandable to ask, like if you're doing a minute's restriction, why is Tyrese Halliburton, why is it the fourth quarter that you are deciding to sit him, right? The only thing I can think, and this is probably me, we need to have, Eddie, I think you had mentioned, like a sounder for when I'm overthinking stuff, and I'm I'm going way too Freudian, or would that be the entire show? That'd be the entire show. (laughs) Okay. Um, The only thing I can think, and I have a feeling that if we were to ask this to Rick Carlisle, or if Kevin and Andy, when they do on the the wake-up call with KB and Andy each tuesday at 8 a.m when they talk to rick carlisle if they were to ask this question they
2: probably would get the answer of yeah you're way overthinking it this could be a work in progress It we'll have a professional cut it up but jake's too deep dive jake come <laughs> back jake it's too it's deep like shane alan ladd at the end of it right <laughs> um
1: is it possible that the thought process is the answer to this is probably no But the only thing that I could think of why he would not be on the floor in the fourth quarter, and somebody the other day said, I'm the king of analogies, and yeah, I appreciate that. I like being the king of anything. So I'm going to present one, okay? And I'm going to bring it back to this Pacers point, I promise. When Fernando Alonso was announced as a driver in the Indianapolis 500, the The announcement and when that became official was right before one of the races. I want to say Barber. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. But I remember being in one of the hospitality areas and eating during a down period at the racetrack with a handful of drivers. I'm not going to say their names, but, but a handful of Indy 500 drivers. And they were talking about Alonso coming. And they were saying that the one thing that they were trying to tell him as Rubens Barrichello had mentioned as a an observation of running the Indy 500, is that for the first 170 laps or so, everybody's kind of just feeling out their car and taking turns in the lead to save fuel and, and go for fuel and whatever else. And then in the last 30 laps, and then in particular the last 20 laps of the race, that's when the elbows came out and everybody was in a knife fight. And that until then it was basically just a warm-up act. And I wonder if in the NBA there isn't that same thought process of the fact that while the game is competitive throughout, for the most part, teams are kind of just running their sets and trading, you know, baskets or whatever else, until the fourth quarter, the level of play ramps up and the defensive intensity in particular ramps up increasingly over the course of that fourth quarter. And as a result of that, if you have a guy that you are still trying to feel his way through how much his hamstring is, in fact, repaired, as to not push it beyond the rev limit, is it better to not have him in the fourth quarter because you're not certain yet that the intensity of motion that is necessary in quarter four versus quarter three, you don't know for certain that his body's ready for it just yet.
2: That's a fair way to look at it. I think another, to borrow another sports analogy, would be unless you were fully committing to not playing him in the first half and playing him the whole second half, right? Like Let's say that's what they did, which would be kind of weird because you want to see him out there with the starters and establish good action early. But let's say that was your angle. If you do that, you can make sense from a body and a health standpoint. If you do the opposite, which is start him, but have him on a tighter leash then, and then let him go, say, the whole fourth quarter. I liken it to baseball when you have a starting pitcher and then a rain delay happens. You don't want to then go ahead and bring that pitcher back necessarily if he's sitting on the bench cold for an hour and a half. You're worried about the body mechanics. You're worried about his arm. You're worried about ligaments. You're worried about him straining himself because his body's so used to doing one thing all the time that if you were to bring him in and then a pause happens, in baseball it's usually a rain delay, then you have to really evaluate, well, do we want to risk it or do we want to go to our pen now because he's had to sit and be cold for the last hour and a half? Same thing would be true with Halliburton. If you start him and play him, I don't know, seven minutes in the first half and you play him 15 minutes in the second, primarily in the fourth quarter, are you risking him and his body? Is it even more stress at that point to ask him, hey, I know you just went full speed for seven minutes. We're going to sit you down now for like an hour. And then ask you to come back in the fourth quarter. If you were going to do it that way, Jake, I think you'd have to not play him in the first half. Right. And just make it a second half arrival for him.
1: Here's an interesting observation that kind of jives with what you're saying. But, Jake, I would guess that muscle fatigue late would be more likely to injure or he gets treatment before the game and then halftime. Uh, but that, but it is odd. I mean, that is, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that is it. But you would think the muscle fatigue late, though, would not be as pertinent if you if he's sitting quarter three but then maybe they also think by then the lead is too big to come back from who knows bottom line is last night i thought that game you know it was frustrating for two aspects number one um jalen brunson just looked like super mario brothers when you when you get the the magic mushroom and all of a sudden you're moving like twice the speed (laughs) of everybody else he just looked so damn fast right i mean it was like holy cow and that's not always the case. Uh, secondly, you know, Andrew Nembhardt, and this worries me a little bit tonight on a back-to-back because Nembhardt's become a, an important player for them. He looked a little fatigued just with his in-the-lane shot, which is kind of his area of specialty. They just looked like they kind of ran out of gas. Um, and then Buddy Heald, you know, I don't know what – players go through streaks. I get it. But Buddy Heald is certainly one of them that they kind of got to wake up and get going here, right, Jimmy? For for one of two reasons, either number one, because they need him and he's an important player for them. Number two is if he is, in fact, on the trading block, and who knows if he is, but if he is, you know, you, you it's more advantageous for you that he's on a hot streak, right?
2: Yeah, you want him to look his very best when you are – if you're shopping him. And even if you're not shopping him in terms of being shorthanded at the guard position with Tyrese Halliburton on a minutes restriction – He is one of your, if not your most potent offensive weapon because of his just ability from beyond the arc. He is viewed by many around the league as one of the top active three-point shooters still playing. I'm not going to put him in the greatest of all time category by any means, but when he goes, you're much more used to seeing a four or five night from him than you are a one of seven performance from beyond the arc and his struggles lately. I would chalk it up to Jake, and I don't want to fully give a cop out to Buddy Heald here, but this is not the most absurd thought in the world. This is a team that has dealt with injury adversity the last couple of weeks in part due to their star player. You're asking other guys to maybe press a little bit, step up when you can, and they've done admirably where they are right now within the Eastern Conference given all that they've gone through. But you also, as a player, have a week left roughly until the All-Star break. Like, it's right there. Right. And Yes, you'd like to see them close strong, but at the same time, I get it. A lot of teams have these lulls right before the All-Star break. And then what happens in the second half of the season? In this season, from the CBA's perspective, we talked a lot about All-NBA awards. Well, the trade deadline has been modified too. That's in a week. You no longer have All-Star weekend to assess and figure out what your team is. You have to make a decision on that in six days. So a lot about this Pacers team... Could potentially change. I'm kind of with you and Tony East at this stage. I feel like they would rather ride out what they have and see what this unit looks like with Halliburton and Siakam and Turner and the rest with Buddy Hield and company than they would ship off for new parts just for the sake of oh he might leave in the off season.
1: Man, I'll tell you what. I certainly hope in terms of the guy that could leave in the off season. Um, really hope that Jalen Smith sticks around here. I, I'm a fan of him. I, I think that he continues to show why he is a value. I thought he was great last night, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And there were stretches down in the fourth quarter where I'm not going to say he he was the only guy that was, but he had it going on for a while there, right? He hit a couple threes. He was very active. The the craziest play of the game was when Brunson. I don't mean to laugh at a guy getting poked in the eye, but Brunson gets like kind of hit inadvertently by I think it was Nimhard. And he falls down, and he's got the ball in his lap. And Jalen Smith just goes over, like picks it up, and dunks it.
2: Gotta do what you gotta do, man.
1: uh, Right? Don't mind if I do. Honestly, but it was like, wait a minute. How do they not call? Like, how do they not notice that he's hurt? And like, I I don't know if you can call an official timeout there or what you do. But it was. uh, I'm just
2: like, okay, sure. Jalen Smith is going to be a fascinating case study in the monopoly money that is the NBA because he has that player option. It's five million dollars. I think he's worth more than that, but we've had many discussions on this show how much more. At the very least, the Pacers would have an interest to bring you back anyway. I think he probably opts out, and then you see what happens, but I'm with you. If the numbers line up, I would gladly welcome back Jalen Smith if, if it comes to that point, which there's no real harm in it on his side. Now, somebody just sent me a message here, and I think this is right. But I'm going to
1: rely on you guys because it's been a long time since i played. In 1988, I got a Nintendo. Everybody at North Central High School on my freshman basketball team got a Nintendo for the Christmas of 1987 turning 1988. Everybody. And the original games on it were all absolutely awesome. RBI Baseball. The best. 10-yard fight. Awesome. Tecmo Bowl. Goes without saying. Legend of Zelda. Awesome. But the game that it might have even been standard, double dribble, don't even get me started. Double dribble, the best. Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Sometimes when I sit in vapid darkness, I just go ahead and put on the <laughs> audio of Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I mean, it's the best. But I think that when you bought a su- a Nintendo, it might have automatically come with a Super Mario Brothers. Maybe I'm wrong. But I played it constantly until, truth be told, my mom figured out how to play Mario Brothers, and my mom got addicted to it, and it was it was an issue. Like my dad's <laughs> like, you know, when we get home, he's like, "Have you seen your mom?" I'm mean, like, "Yeah, she's been in the rec room, dad, since four, playing Super Mario Brothers. She played Super Mario Brothers constantly." But somebody just pointed out to me that on Super Mario Brothers, it's actually the mushroom and not the star. Or the star, not the mushroom, that makes you go faster. The mushroom
2: just makes you bigger, right? Correct. Correct. But it gives you superpower, right? Well, I mean, you you get an extra life, basically. If you get hit by an enemy, you're going to shrink down to mini size. Whereas if you were mini, you just game over. Like, you lose a life. So you go from
3: kid to adult. Back to kid.
1: But so you... You don't have superpowers. You're just just bigger. You're a little You're a little stronger. That's what I
2: thought. A little stronger, a little bigger.
1: But it's the star that makes you Jerry Brunson. You're invincible.
2: Yeah, correct. You can knock, you can run through anybody, and they're going to fall off the map. Yes.
1: And you're fast. You're just absolutely. Your speed is unbelievable,
2: right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Here's what we're doing on the show today, because I know all of you are asking. Coming up at two o'clock, Kevin Bowen going to join us on the program. Eddie, you're stretching like you're getting ready to opine on something. I was going to ask you, what are we doing today? Thank you. I'll let you know. Uh, we're going to do something different today that we have not done over the course of the week today. Again, Kevin Bowen going to join us at two o'clock. We're also going to have an important message from a Carmel basketball coach coming up at two 30, but earlier this week, let's, let's recap because we had a really good week and Eddie did an excellent job of basically he was the Frank Lloyd Wright this week of the architect of this program and lining up for us. On Monday, we had Miles Turner, correct? Yes, sir. On Tuesday, we had Aaron Neesmith as well as Ryan Kelly, correct? That is also correct. On Wednesday, we had Tyrese Halliburton, right? Yes. Yesterday, we had Ben Shepard on the program. And we had Rick Fusen And Rick well. Fusen on the program
2: on Wednesday. So we've Man. had a very guest heavy week. Ben Shepard ripped down a rebound late last night when the Pacers were still around and I thought this is the moment. Mushroom
1: or star? Did he look
2: like he was on the mushroom or the star? Uh, it looked like mushroom because he got an extra jump. Got an extra <laughs> okay. jump in his step but he grabbed a board. It was really late. Like we were, we're still approaching miracle territory. it high enough that if his head hit the <laughs> rim a coin would have flipped out? <laughs> yes, I think a, so. With a sound effect? <laughs> I actually saw a question mark above the rim <laughs> when he right. jumped. It was crazy. But anyway, I thought we were going to have that moment of Hey, Queer and Company interview, here's Ben Shepard flying in for a rebound late. It's
1: like Aaron Neesmith, yep. right? was not Our, to be. We there. were the good luck for him in Boston. Yep.
2: Well, because we had such
1: a guest-heavy week, and we are a sports talk radio program, and it's Friday, and the sun has come out, and it's a new awakening, and we are, if nothing else, the optimism, the rainbow that shines on this throughout the radio airwaves from 12 to 3 every day in the city, right? Yes. So because we are a sports talk radio program and we are Query and Company, I feel like we have been neglecting the employees of this company. So we're going to start a new thing. I'm not going to say we're going to do it every Friday, but we're going to do a thing and I have no idea. I, I was thinking like we'd call it free flowing Friday or free speech Friday. What I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But at one o'clock, I figured we would just open the phone lines and let people call in on what their observations are for the weekend sports. Anything they want to share, but it has to be, now, you can be negative if it's about a team, hey, I'm fed up with, you know, the way this guy's playing or that guy's playing. But you can also call in if you got something positive to report. Hey, I want to I give a shout out because my 17-year-old son made the honor roll for the first time. Great. What's his name? Mark. Mark, congratulations, honor roll. We're just going to do that at 1 o'clock. We're just going to turn, not because we're lazy, which I am, not because it's the easy thing to do, which sometimes it can be, but I want people in this company of Query and Company to feel a part of it. I want this show to be for all-encompassing for all people, and we've had a wonderful week of being able to share with others the outlet that we have to be able to hear from their favorite stars, but now I want to hear from the, star, the true stars, which are the listeners of this show. So that's what we're going to do at 1 o'clock. What do you think?
2: I think it's a great idea.
1: I thought of this like five minutes ago. Community involvement.
3: Always love it. Company involvement. Yeah, I'm surprised this wasn't a thought at 3 a.m. for you, sir.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I did a new workout at the gym yesterday. At 3? No. You actually worked out? Well, I work out all the time, as you know, Eddie. Thank you for the sarcasm. But I've never done the classes. I always just go and do my own thing on the treadmill, whatever else. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do one of the classes. And I did one of the classes yesterday, and...
3: I thought you were just a stretch and uh walking on the treadmill guy. I didn't know there was pumping the iron. I don't necessarily. Involved.
1: Well, okay, the iron is, is strictly for, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not like I'm not a bodybuilder iron, right. iron guy, right? Just a, But I do do some upper body stuff just to get the heart going a little bit, which I have to be careful with. But I did this class yesterday, and so I was not up till three because very rarely does this happen to me, but I did sleep well. What kind of class was it? Um, I don't even know how you would describe it. Um, a lot of like, like core, but with some small weights, Mm -hmm. but it was a 45 minute, you're basically moving nonstop 45 minutes. I mean, obviously at the gym, they're trying to compete with the different auxiliary gyms that are doing those kinds of things now, but it's a free part of the membership and i the membership's not inexpensive. So I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. And my buddy, Doug Heath, who has been begging me for 10 years to do it, did it alongside with me. And, um, I'm not going to say it was easier. I did it to perfection, but I'll be doing it again next week, too. But I did sleep well last night. And I was not up till 3. That's the point. So we will do the free-flowing Friday coming up at 1 o'clock. Kevin Bowen, 2 o'clock. Important message for you, 2.30. You are listening to Quarian Company. You're listening to it on a Friday on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Groundhog Day, baby. Puxatani Phil said, get out your Speedos. Let's go. Before you know it, we're in St. Pete for IndyCar. We're talking about how many cars for the Indy 500? Racers and Pacers? Let's get that going. Let's get back to trying to figure out if Denary can be in turn four because the Pacers have playoff games. <laughs> like, Let's go. Even though by then I think Denari's out of the equation anyway because the networks take over. But those are the days, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the height of beginning of summer – and the start of, you know, everybody's favorite time of year is built up of that entire month of May. And whenever you have that unique ability to have racers, pacers, and everything back in action, really it's a it's a countdown uniquely to May this year, Jake, because I know that there's still a lot of frustration on the Colts side from missing out on the playoffs and seeing Houston win the division and get to the divisional round. But there's a lot of local teams statewide. Purdue, Indiana State, Butlers hanging around in the tournament conversation. You know my feelings on the Hoosiers right now, but they're still trying to stay in the hunt. You're gonna have March Madness, but before that you're gonna have NBA All Star Weekend here. Then we're gonna blink it's gonna be April, and then we'll be to the month of May. Like it's really gonna be a fast track you're part right. of the pun. You're right. To the countdown of the greatest spectacle in racing. You know, the to go back to the Racers Pacers days.
1: I saw a video the other day that was really funny. Davey Hamilton, who, you know, a colleague now of mine on the radio network for the 500. In 95, during, poor Davey, 1995, he's doing his qualifying run, right? And he's out there and Paul Page is on the the microphone. And Davey Hamilton, they're like, okay, you know, here, lap number two in the books for Davey Hamilton. All of a sudden, like the crowd just goes bonkers. And I think it's Derek Daly that's doing the color commentary on ESPN and he's like, and the crowd loves that speed. Listen to the crowd reacting to Davey Hamilton's lap of two twenty, you know, eight or whatever. And Paul Page says, actually they're cheering because they just flashed the score that the Pacers have beaten the Knicks. Ninety seven to ninety five. And they're advancing. And the whole crowd's going bonkers. Those days were just awesome, man. So much fun, qualified. Right? That's right. That's exactly what Davey was doing. <laughs> Just like it was. Speaking of that, Davey probably wanted to, to like, you know, he wouldn't have wanted to punch anybody out because Davey's a good dude. But we were talking about this earlier. Eddie, fired up if we could. Prepare right now to go back to 1988 in your basement playing a little Mike Tyson punch out.
3: I was getting ready to play it and then a ad popped up. So, <laughs> of course.
1: Now we'll have to wait 30 seconds. The absolute best, man. Like, and you know that the I'm not I'm not going to lie to you, guys. The roster of boxers that Glass Joe, Little Joe, I think is what he was called on on Mike Tyson's punch out. Not exactly what today we'd refer to as politically correct. Some of them, Bald Bull. I don't think there was any sort of controversy about. But some of the others, man. I got. I was a big fan of Soda Popinski. But you got to figure out the sweet spot on each of them on what to do. You, you played a little punch out. I did. Here yeah. we go. Listen to that crowd going crazy. Oh yeah, there he goes. Excellent. Okay. There we go. Start throwing some punches here. Would you there we go. Heck yeah. Ooh. Couple of Wow, he's coming right after it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better. Oh wow, that's
2: quick. Man. That was that was literally like A uh, cerebral assassin right yeah, there.
1: Yeah, that was Tyson and Sphinx right there is what that was. Uh, NBA trade the trade deadline is coming up. As a matter of fact, it will be a week from yesterday, and I don't know how active Indiana is going to be. I think we've already seen the big one, right? But they they do have they have seen names of note. You mentioned it earlier, I think, Jimmy. But to show you how fickle the NBA is. And just how you constantly have to be looking around the corner. One minute you are a centerpiece of a franchise and you are the great hope, which clearly the Pacers have now in Tyrese Halliburton. No doubt. And I know that when you watch last night and you say, why is Halliburton not on the floor in the fourth? Why is he not playing more minutes? And I realize that it's apples to oranges, a a, a grade one hamstring tear to, you know, a, a ruptured quad. But let's not forget that the last guy that had that claim, that aura, that everything about him was Victor Oladipo. This is my city. I'm the face of it. Of course, obviously it helped that he played in Indiana, but remarkable player. Takes the Pacers in, you know. We we talked to. I think it was Miles Turner that said the closest group he he, he felt like he was a part of was that group that took Cleveland to seven games with Oladipo yeah. on the floor with them, and then the injury happens to Oladipo, and it's unfortunately for him. And yes, there were some diva tendencies about Oladipo aside from the injury that I think started to show themselves, especially after the injury
2: itself. And I think the tell all whenever that happens if he ever does it is the acknowledgement that he probably got some bad advice too
1: oh well he's now distanced himself i think right and, and here here's let's go back to that the reason i'm bringing it all up is cuz victor oladipo yesterday was traded from houston to memphis i believe for as a salary throw in almost for steven adams
2: right and to qualify it further steven adams isn't going to play this year like, he, he had surgery recently, but Houston views him as a bully enforcer piece that's going to help them next season. So that's where we're at now. It's no longer you're just a salary match piece. It is you're being traded with picks for a player that won't play until next year. Right. Like that—that's not—that's not, that's not deadline-winning moves. That's a team that's planning for the future. And oh, hey, Victor, you match up, right? Totally, right. Best of luck to you. It's crazy
1: how it works out. And to your point, when Oladipo was here, you know, Victor Oladipo was a, is a really good guy, by all account. yeah, and a great player. But when he was playing for the Pacers and and really was starting to grow into himself. There were absolutely people close to him, and I mean that more so like within the organization, that said to him, look, you have a business manager here that is, we understand it, and we know you're close with him, but it's he's starting to tell you some things in your ear that, that probably are not in your best interest. And eventually, members of Oladipo's family, as I understand it, were saying that. And I'm not saying they were saying, like, this guy's, you know, the worst thing ever. They were just like, hey, man, like, you know, keep your ears open to all possibilities instead of listening to everything as gospel from this one source. And he stuck by that, you know, didn't, didn't listen to those that were kind of warning him. And then when he got hurt and went down to Miami to rehab, which is his right, but when the Pacers said, look, you know, now that we're in the playoffs against Boston, you need to come back and be on the bench. And he missed his flight and didn't come back to the last game. I, you know, that was a tough thing to overcome. But perhaps that is, there is in their mindset a little bit, Jimmy. We are naturally, by human nature, bound to looking at areas where we have been hurt and then becoming protective of ourselves when we see signs or symptoms of that coming up again. Now, I don't mean that in terms of Tyrese Halliburton and having the wrong people in his ear or whatever else. I mean, Halliburton's locked in. He is, as we heard this week, you know, a a wonderful talent and um, personality. Not to say that Oladipo is not those two things. But from an injury standpoint, they are going to be, because they saw Paul George with the leg injury. They saw Victor Oladipo with the quad injury. So it is probably going to be frustrating right now to wait through a kid glove, you know, like t- handling it very softly approach to the rehabilitation of Tyrese Halliburton's hamstring because you want immediate results. But what Indiana is making sure that is that they are protecting themselves from is history repeating itself of getting too aggressive and putting themselves in a situation where Now, all of a sudden, you're waiting for Paul George's leg to heal or you're waiting for Victor Oladipo's quad to heal. In George's case, it did. In Oladipo's case, it happened right over again. And next thing you know, you are literally the throw-in on a Craigslist deal for a center who had his prime eight years ago. It's a rough way to go, man, you know? And, And then you look at the other side of it, which is, the ever you know the ever changing landscape of just the nba and your rosters and the other guy that they got along with the trade from Paul George when they got Oladipo and Sabonis who's going to be here tonight and that is one of those rare times Jimmy Cook and that trade for Halliburton as we come in on the trade deadline, you could make the argument that there's going to be no trade that takes place within the next week in the association anywhere that is going to be more so a 50-50, both teams won, like that deal for Sabonis and Halliburton.
2: It's very rare that it happens that you have neither one on either side of the ledger look back in two, three seasons and say, man, why did we do that? And maybe at one point, The Kings will feel that way long term. I don't know based on their trajectory if it would have made a lot of sense with Tyrese Halliburton there and De'Aaron Fox out there as well. But maybe if Tyrese Halliburton continues to ascend, you look at and say, yeah, the Pacers probably edged them a little bit. But in terms of where they're at right now, there's no question that that's as an even trade as you're going to find in the NBA. In regards to Tyrese Halliburton and your point, Jake, there's a lot of scar tissue in this town from a number of different rooting fan bases of players getting hurt and seeing it happen time after time and the same story playing out. And it does matter that Tyrese Halliburton is under contract now. And there's a long-term commitment by both parties. But in the short term, you have seven games between now and the all-star break. Seven games to decide how you want to manage him from a minute standpoint. And then you get, even though he's going to be playing in the All-Star game and heavily involved in All-Star weekend, then you get that brief break from the you know, constant slug of an NBA schedule to just sit back, take a breath, and then bring it home in the second half of the season. I'm curious to see when he ultimately gets the minutes restriction lifted from him or if they are going to play this pretty close to the chest over the next seven games.
3: You have to remember when he was on the show earlier in the week... Um, he said that he felt like the minutes restriction would come off if he's able to play tonight and show that he can play in three games in four days. That's right. So you would have to wonder if he plays tonight against Sacramento and it's a very similar uh, minutes restriction at 22 minutes, whether that's 24 tonight, and he feels fine the next day. Because that's, I think, the whole thing that Rick Carlo and company are worried about is not how he feels during the game, how he feels the next day. So if he's feeling fine after playing in both games, Last night and tonight, I think that minutes restriction will start going more in the realm of where we typically saw Halliburton before.
2: Now, do we see this as a move, Jake or Eddie? Is this a move with the minutes restriction where it's slowly increased? Or do you think, let's say if he's able to go and is fine after Sacramento, that in Charlotte on Sunday or against Houston at Gamebridge on Tuesday, it's just a complete, okay, you're back to the full 40. Glad you're okay. I, I, yeah, I would think... I mean, at some
1: point, you've got to take off the, the reins, right? Right. Take the training wheels off and just let yeah. him go. I would think Tuesday, Houston, yeah. probably.
2: That's where, that's where I'd probably map it out. You have a two-game home stand at that point, and then two days off before you go on the road for your final three before the All-Star break. That would make a lot of sense to me. If he's fully clear that that Tuesday home game against Houston next week is when there's no minutes restriction and you just let him be Tyrese.
1: Uh, Twelve minutes from now... Do you think anybody will call in for this though? Like this is the kind of thing I probably should have promoted earlier in the week. We should have had a meeting about this, I guess, right? This is the problem with my free flowing brain drops from time to time.
4: But free flowing Friday,
1: right? Yeah, I like it. Literally, like Scott Craigie, he's a buddy of mine that that runs the Vogue, one of the great facilities in I mean, so many great memories of the Vogue. Todd Meyer and I were just talking about that earlier today. The great memories we have at the Vogue. I saw Freddie Jones band there. I saw Too Short there recently. I mean, I've seen Colin Hay, there, great venue, and Rock the Ruins, which is an awesome place uh, up off Spring Mill to go watch. But he, he just sent me things like, "Hey man, love it, great, great concept," which I'm appreciative of. But do you think anybody's going to stick around till one o'clock for it? And I don't want people like in the old days of other radio shows where people would have like written out scripts and they call in and they're like, talk, you know going on and on and on david woods just popped his head in david if you i don't know if we're overhead outside he should pop in here the fabulous videographer absolutely one radio our new co-worker but he was looking in the studio like he had something to say and then he he walked out he could have been the first member of our free-flowing friday where you just call in
2: and say whatever's on your mind he could have been
1: You, you want to call in and talk about how excited you are to see tyrese halliburton tonight
2: do it. Now, are you saying you would have made him pick up the phone and dial while outside the door of the studio? <laughs> no, I would have because... had him come in okay, here. And put you said right call of in. Light. I to make He's sure. He's a North Central 1991 okay. Panther, Jimmy. He's able to
1: do whatever he wants. You want to call in and simply talk about the fact that – but I want it to be positive. Sports-wise, it can be negative, right? Sports-wise, it can be negative. But if you're talking about non-athletes, I want it to be positive stuff at 1 o'clock. And we're just going to go through and give people the platform because we've been hugging the mic all week and our guests.
2: I feel right. like if it does not go the way you want it to, maybe then we have that uh, meeting we've been talking about and, having and it's, put a little promotion out next week. Then it's a one and done?
1: <laughs> Is that it? We just go with our tail between our legs. That's right. Uh, Alright, we'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. You're listening to Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Every time I hear this song, it reminds me of the summer of, I think, 93. I was working at Hardwick's Pipe and Tobacco in, in Broadpool. And a couple of guys came in from they were from ireland and they were they were college kids that basically got suckered in ireland into coming to the united states and selling books door-to-door and they were told like oh you get to live in the u.s and people are totally friendly and they'll buy all the books from you, and you'll make a million dollars and i mean they were like these poor guys were walking around as door-to-door salesmen came into hardwicks and they're like can we just hang out in here for an hour because you know we're tired of people slamming the door in our face so i became buddies with them and
2: What are they selling? Encyclopedias? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like like textbooks. Okay. All
1: right. And my friend Peggy Swearinson's parents were out of town, and so you know, she was quote unquote having people over. And so I'm like, hey, we're going to a party tonight. Do you want to go? And they're like, Yeah, we'll go. So (laughs) so I pick up these two Irish guys and we listened to this. They were like, Oh, you gotta hear this song. And they had this tape, the proclaimers, I think, is who that is, right? Yeah. And so we're listening to it, and we went to the gas station, and one of the Irish guys says, I've never pumped gas. Can can I do it? Like we we don't do that now. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So he gets out of the car, gets the pump out, (laughs) and goes. How does this work? And turns it around, facing the nozzle, and hits it. That's tough. Completely douses himself in gasoline. We got Zoolander all of a sudden on our hands. Oh my god! We went to Peggy Sweringsen's house, and everybody is like, Oh my god! Like what stinks in this this poor guys walking around so he goes outside and he says i think i'm gonna go have a cigarette i'm like no do not that is not allowed please sir do not do that and we went to my parents house we got them all bathed up and ready to go and he took some, way. My, took some of my old hand-me-downs back to Ireland with him probably all right we come back on the other side What are we going to call it, Eddie? Do we know what we're going to call this segment? Do you think anybody will call in? I'm worried about that. I think we'll get some callers. I like Free Flow Friday. I'm always self-conscious that nobody's even listening to this program. If there's anything you want to talk about, whether it be sports, you know, J&V does. What's he call it? It's 6 o'clock sometimes. Anything goes. Anything goes. It's kind of the same concept. But it's a Friday. Inquiry and Company is about the company, which is you folks, the listeners. And I just want to have an open forum for you folks to be able to give us your thoughts on something positive that's going on, somebody in your life you want to congratulate, or something, a question you might have in the world of sports or for any of the three of us. And we're going to do it all when we come back.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: So here's what we're going to do for Free Flowing Friday. Gotta let that breathe a little bit, Eddie. Come on, man. That's some NWA there. That's the best. Speaking of 88, that was right around the time of Nintendo and all the games we were talking about. Now, I know for a fact, and this is kind of what I have in mind here with this, I want this to be uplifting, and one of the uplifting things about this show, and one of the uplifting things about this city is, and I've talked about this before, but through the course of radio and as well social media, our friend Matthew from Maine was a fan of the New England Patriots. Growing up in Maine, why wouldn't you be? And then Adam and Vinatieri becomes a Colt, and so Matthew starts following the Colts and then becomes more intrigued by life in Indianapolis, and so starts listening to sports talk radio. And Matthew, unfortunately, had a natural disaster in Maine where Matthew's residence was flooded and lost a lot, So, Matthew decided that that was like a sign that it was time to turn the page and move and finally make Indianapolis home. So, Matthew, who is going to be the first on our free-flowing Friday, and there's a reason why I'm going to do it, Matthew, let me be the first to say, not the first, but the first publicly to say, because I know the drive is complete, I know you were worried about it, I know you were nervous, and welcome to Indianapolis as now an official Hoosier because you are in the Circle City, correct?
5: Yep, that's correct. And how was the, so how
1: was the drive, Matthew?
5: Um, it was it was rough. It was wicked long. It was better on wicked like, long.
1: Because like- <laughs> right, The Bostonian in you comes out, right?
5: Yeah, it does.
1: <laughs> okay. So, Matthew, here's the thing. I had told you this, and we already have accumulated a few things, and you and I are going to get together tomorrow. Uh, so I can deliver a few things for you. We'll match wits on that off air. But I need you, Matthew, to tell me right now. So you had a flood that flooded out your residence in Maine, correct? Yes. And I'm not trying to bring up bad memories here, but you've been pretty public about it. Um, And so you, as a result of that, lost furniture and everything else, and so you come to Indianapolis to basically start over, and we have gotten you so far a lamp, I know that I have for you like a TV slash end table. I believe I have for you a reclining chair and an office chair. Now, with that, because we're going to get together with people here on the program, tell me everything else that you need to furnish your new place here in Indianapolis since you kind of lost everything else in the flood.
5: All right. um, I do need a bed frame as well as a small dresser.
1: Okay. Um, bed frame, small dresser, okay? What else? Um
5: I need a small
1: kitchen table and a couple of chairs. Okay, small kitchen table and chairs. So we'll start with that, right? Um I I mean I have a feeling that we'll get some other stuff accumulated. But for right now, bed frame, small dresser, small kitchen table and chairs, right? So so the basics and then we kind of go from there. We got you the uh, I think we've got you a reclining chair, an office chair, things like that and the TV and everything else. Um, but here's the thing, Matthew, that I want to say to you, it's going to start getting light here at like 10 o'clock at night in the summertime. And at that point, all bets are off because you are going to get vitamin D overload and you are going to love the month of May and you're going to love the summer. So Matthew, I want to say on behalf of the people of Indianapolis, Kudos on the bravery of making the move. Kudos on ripping off the Band-Aid. And welcome to the best damn city in the land that's going to make you part of it. And your life is going to be sunshine and rainbows from here on out because you are in Indianapolis and Indianapolis wants you here. All right. So welcome to Indy, Matthew. All right. All right all right thank you there we go that is matthew who makes the drive from maine all right let's go to charles on line number one by the way i will remind people over the course of the day how you can get a hold of me if you have any of that stuff that you might be able to help out with matthew we're going to make it happen charles joining us charles what's up hey jake how you doing today you know i can't complain charles yourself
2: i'm outstanding i'm actually riding a wave of positivity and it made me want to call in and just share a little bit of it it's uh um, I think you know, as you know, energies are contagious, whether they're negative or positive. And I, if I could share just a little bit of mine, that would be great. Sure, go ahead. Well, um, you know, we're a local uh, company here. I got a local product, uh, uh, Hartwell's Premium. We're a salad dressing company out of Greenwood, and so I've been just out on the road, out on the sales, out on the sales road here. And I just had a great meeting, dropped some samples off with Victory Field, and hopefully they, they'll bring us on. And uh, I'm not trying to make this a
6: commercial here. I just wanted to share the energy and. And it's been ten years in the making. We're always out on the road. Now, Charles, are
1: you a native of Indianapolis?
6: Um, I grew up i'm
1: from Martinsville, actually. Okay, uh, so did you go to Martinsville High School? I did. Graduated ninety one. Nineteen ninety one, baby. So I'll bet. I'll bet my buddy Dean Sisson is somebody that you know. I think a year ahead of you, right? I do know of him. Ryan right. Wolf, uh-huh. Big Bob Denton, the artesians oh, back in yeah. the day. All right, Charles, give, yeah. me the, give me the name of it one more time. If I want to, for my the for next time I get a salad, if I'm at Victory Field, I'm going to tell them I want what kind of dressing?
2: It's called Hartwell's Premium, H A R T W E L L S. Perfect, premium. Charles.
1: And, uh, Hartwell's, yeah, Hartwell's so Premium is perfect, Charles, because it is, and I'm not sure exactly the correct terminology here. But I believe it's like National Heart Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about that coming up at 2.30, all right?
2: Coming up at 2.30.
1: Love a good crossover so, moment. That's nice. What's that?
2: Love a good crossover moment when yeah. two things come together. That's Listen,
1: great. I don't want to necessarily open this up to free advertising for businesses, but I get it, Charles, and I, I appreciate the positive vibes, and we certainly wish the company the best of luck, because we are a company, right? I mean, that's the thing. Let's go to Scott next. Scott, Heidi Hill on a Friday. What's up?
2: Scott, man, where where are you? Scott, you got us. We need you.
6: Can you hear me now? There we All go, right. Scott. I hear you. All What's right. up? Uh, sorry, the uh, earbuds. No, uh, I had two quick questions, well, two different subjects, really. But the first one is the uh, the All Star Game. Is it going to be like the when we had a Super Bowl Village? Um, downtown on Georgia Street. I heard something about DJs playing, and I didn't know how much outdoor activities, uh, especially since... Okay, good question. Good question. We'll get that one.
1: And what's... Okay, so I'll I'll answer that first one. How about that, Scott, real quick first? Perfect. NBAevents.com is the website that is designed to give you the rundown for everything that's taking place. The vast majority of events that are NBA-sanctioned will be taking place at the convention center, but there will be free stages, including like Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, you know, and and Shaq, and that show will be, I believe, on Georgia Street. So there are going to be events like for the Super Bowl where Georgia Street is going to have stuff that um, extending out from the Field House and going towards the Dome or you know the Lucas Oil Stadium. Obviously, there are going to be events, and you can find the rundown beginning Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of All Star Weekend at NBAevents.com of the different free events, notably both inside and outside. Scott,
2: if you take nothing else away, and anybody- NBA crossover is the big event that they're hammering home it's right. a big thing at the convention center you can get autographs they're gonna have basketballs to put in put in your hands Supposed it's be a great event over the course of the 16th to the 18th that hey, again is at nbaevents.com scott com. had a second question Eddie.
1: oh shoot. did he drop you off hit the wrong button all right sorry about that scott but hopefully that answered your first one uh jim gonna be up next jim what's up hello, J- hello jake jim you sound like hey. a nice fella I, I, I try to be. <laughs> Everything going all right in your world today, Jim? You sound upbeat. I like that.
0: well. I, I have got an unusual racing story for you. Okay. I know you were big into that. So uh, this is back in, I don't know, in the 90s. So I'd recently changed jobs from doing fiberglass boat repair, and I'd been there about three months. I was doing that for a long time, and then I would, I, would, I got into a, into com- uh, carbon fiber repair and composite repair. And manufacturing. Okay. So this guy uh, calls my house. I was married at the time, and my wife answers. And he says, is Jim there? No, he's working right now. And can I get your name and number? And he didn't want to give his name right away. So this went back and forth for, for quite a while. And finally, she gets tired of it and says, who is this? And he says, this is uh,
1: Emerson. Uh, no Emerson kidding. The now, what year was this, Jim? This is like in 90-something now, did was it the year he won ninety three? Yeah, he won twice. I know he won in eighty nine and ninety three. He had the, the orange he, juice he, instead he, of the milk he, in ninety three, and that was a big controversy. But did you did end up he, doing? Did you end up doing fiber work for him? No, that, that's not. No, I did not. But it, but uh, it was
0: the year he won. But it wasn't the year he did with Little Al.
1: So okay. Was, so, well, so, eighty nine, so, he won it. But anyway, so so did you end up doing work for him? What or did you owe him I, money? Why he, was he calling you? I, I,
0: I didn't. Well, he he his babysitter from Brazil. He, he told her to back the back the. He was renting the house at at, at Eagle Creek, and he told her to back this car his car and vehicle out of the garage, and instead it. she puts it in forward and she rams this guy who who's he's the house from this little day sailor in the garage. She <laughs> hits it so hard, Jake that it punches a, a hole in the back wall of the garage. I mean, it's a three or <laughs> four thousand dollar day sailor. And Emerson feels so bad about this. So, anyway, I go out there after work and I go out there and he and his wife are arguing. I've talked to him on the phone several times. and, Wait, and, so and his wife Did you get a fix for him? Jim, did you get a fix for him? No, he won the race and the renter's insurance bought him. But uh,
1: Hell yeah. In, the yeah, insur- in the insurance boat. came through for him, Jim. But he's a nice dude, right? He was a great guy. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, he, he, I go out there and he and his wife are arguing and I say they're arguing in Portuguese i say, Emerson, if
1: you guys argue, you need to argue in English so I know what's going on. <laughs> well, hey, you know he what? He, Jim, he might not have wanted you to know what was going on, Jim. I mean, he might have been saying, look, I got this guy coming out. He's a shyster. He might try to charge me too much. Fittipaldi, uh, I have very limited encounters with him, but when I have, true, true, true gentlemen, True gentlemen, And as evidenced by the fact that, as Jim says, when he does somebody's house wrong, he wants to make sure it's taken care of. I like Ike. Up on line five. What's up, Ike? How's it going, Jake the Snake? You know, I can't complain, Ike. How about yourself? And Now, is Isaac your real name? Yep, sure is. Okay. And, and uh, Isaac, um, who is your favorite Isaac all time? Isaac Hayes? No, I'd have to say Abraham, son. Yeah, that's good. That's that's the right answer there. No problem there. All right, Isaac, what's going on? Or Ike, I should say, what's up today?
7: I was going to say, Groundhog Day marks the halfway point between winter and spring. And people say, oh, that's a long way. I'm saying, no, 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 no. We got four weeks of, Fev- of February. We got Valentine's Day, March's halfway point. And then we got President's Day. We got one more week, and then February's over. <laughs> I, March, I love it, Ike. Ike, let go, Madness, March Madness starts. <laughs> if you realize when they cut them nuts out it will be spring So
1: you to go, friends, Ike you I love like it? it listen like Ike it? when we have our spring PBR party I want you there Ike, Diet Cokes are perfectly sufficient but I, when we put this thing together finally Ike I want to lift my PBR for the fact that spring has finally arrived you can have a Diet Coke if you'd like and we will celebrate That's the, that's the kind of optimism looking forward that I love alright Paul what is up Paul What is up, Jake? How you doing? Oh, that's Paul, the director of getting this. I knew you'd have to call in. How are you, Paul? I'm I'm great. I'm
7: delivering this mail, enjoying the beautiful day. Even though it's cloudy out now, it's beautiful because it's a lot warmer and no snow on the ground. I love
1: it, man. I love it. Paul, what's the weekend looking like for you? What do you got on tap?
7: Oh, well, work. Going to watch the IU game uh, tomorrow. Even though I don't think we're going to win, but still don't watch it and hope that we win. Um, I'm not as confident in IU as I am the coach for the most part, but I'm still a diehard fan. Um, But I've got a couple things, Jake, that I'm I'm thankful for. For the first time in a long time, we don't have to go into the season thinking who's going to be the coach quarterback. That
1: is true. That is true. Um, That is reason for optimism. All right, Paul, continue with another one. What's another reason that you're happy? uh,
7: Another reason why I'm happy is my son, who's over in England, just sent me some new pictures of my first grandbaby.
2: Oh, That's there awesome. we go. Congratulations.
1: Now, what's the granddaughter's name, Paul? A- Ava May. I love it. Ava May, you said, right? hmm Well, Paul, I'll tell you what, man. Congratulations. The director of Giddiness now has even more reason to be giddy. Ava May, welcome. Welcome to the world. And you got the best grandpa ever. I can only imagine when Paul's looking at you you automatically are smiling right back for the photo, right? Can I wreck the happiness segment real quick?
2: What the heck? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Paul, this is half sad, half happy. If IU loses to Penn State tomorrow, you don't have to worry about them bringing you down the rest of the year because that's it. It's over. Like that's, It's done. <laughs> okay.
1: That's a, that's a death sentence so, if you lose to <laughs> Penn State at home. So what you're saying is if IU loses to Penn State, then Ike, when he's talking about spring and March Correct. Madness around the corner, ain't happening Correct. for losers. No. All right. Who do we got next, Eddie?
3: go with fred he's been on hold the longest
1: freddy what is going on fred my man jake what's happening you are looking at it fred how are you i'm good man these
7: people not giving their positions in the company man be proud (laughs) that we are in this company i am the director of transportation
1: love it i love it fred i love it and are you trans what are you transporting right now fred uh actually food right now okay well i'm glad that here's the thing people are gonna be able to eat because of you fred now here's my question for you fred the director of transportation when you woke up yesterday and saw the sun and when you woke up today and realized that the sun was out you said to yourself you know what that is symbolic of my life because right now i'm the happiest about blank fill in the blank for me what's making fred happy today
7: Um. I give all the praise and honor to my God because he is the head of my life, Jay. I love it, when Fred. When you wake up and see the sun shining like that, man, it's only one person that can do that in the midst of all this gloominess we've been going through lately, Jay.
1: Well, Fred, I appreciate it, man, and that's the kind of optimism we're looking for, right? And you are right, that gloominess of that cloud, man, it got to be a little bit much, right? Colleen is next, is that right? Colleen, how are you? Hey
5: Jake, I'm fine. How are you today? Are
1: you the director of finance for the company? Just out of curiosity.
5: Uh, yeah, yes, and that's part of the reason I'm calling in. I am on Cloud Nine today. Okay. I'm I'm the CFO for your company. Uh-huh. Uh, this is actually my last day of work at my air quotes here real job. I am retiring.
1: Really? So, Colleen, Congratulations! I'll tell you what. You, that's here's the thing, Colleen. And by the way, is there a Cloud Ten? Why is it always cloud nine? There's got to be a higher cloud, right? Is there a cloud 10? Do we know?
5: Maybe. I don't, I'll don't. i see if I can find it. So,
1: Colleen, I would like to know this. Retirement for you, and, and l- listen, you are living my dream here, right? And we are happy that in retirement, you still are able to be the CFO of Query and Company.
5: Well, now I can be full-time.
1: <laughs> well, what we have to do is start getting revenue, Colleen. That would be the
2: challenge for us. That earnings call is going to so, be big now.
1: Colleen, if I may, let me ask a few questions here real quick, okay? And I need... The first one would be this. What is, like, when you think about retirement, I remember when I was a kid when at the end of the school year, I looked so forward in the summertime to those, I used to say, when I don't know what day of the week it is, when, like, it's just, you're just going, right? So what is in retirement, what do you have most planned that you're looking forward to?
5: Okay, so this is what my day is probably going to look like. I'm a jazzercise fanatic, and don't make fun of me for that, but I I like to stay fit. So, I will go to Jazzer side. Okay. I've taken a pickleball.
1: Okay. So I'm our, our boss loves pickleball, so that's cool.
5: Well, maybe you can set me up with uh, your boss, and I'm, <laughs> I'm loving to play with anybody. I love a new challenge. Okay. So, I'm going to try and get some pickleball in, and then I like to travel. Actually, I received an invitation um, a couple days ago to go to the Daytona 500. Okay. I'm more of an open wheel girl, right. but you, know, you can't turn down a, you know, invite to go to the Daytona 500. I can check that off my bucket list that I've been to the Indy 500 and now I'll get to go to the Daytona 500. I mean so, this is like
1: a full dance card for you here, Colleen, right?
5: Oh, oh, oh yeah. I I'm going to travel. I'm going I'm going to be able to spend more time. I have two teenage granddaughters um that are in a lot of activities, you know, one's okay. a swimmer, one plays tennis and you know, different things, so I'll actually now, be able to go to those things because my other job I was Traveling, you don't know this, but I have listened to you in, you know, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana. You know, I, I drove. You all take over. the show on the road. Yeah, I. So, I, Colleen, you know.
1: that leads to my other question, real quick. Okay. And that is this, and I'm going to ask this, I guess, like somewhat selfishly, but uh I am very, quite frankly, and kidding and flippancy aside, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you listen to the show. I am very appreciative of your willingness to play along with the company aspect of the show. Um, and so I am genuinely curious, in, in brief summary, what is it about this program that you enjoy and what can we do better uh, in, in our customer survey here?
5: Okay, well, I'm, I'm a huge Colts fan I I love all sports, but I'm the biggest Colts fan. If you've been to any of the Colts games, you've probably seen me on the Jumbotron. I was Taylor Swift before she was Taylor Swift. (laughs) I would always get on TV, and I'm like, I don't know. It's got to be some guy with a camera across because, for crying out loud, nobody's in my face with a camera, but I do sit in the front row right behind the Colts bench. So, you know, I'm sure that has something to do with it. But I like... I mean, the previous show during this time slot, it got old after a while. There was a lot of negativity. I like your positivity. I just like the format. I like the whole, you know, being part of the company. It makes me feel like I'm part of the show. And I think that your viewpoints and your guests and the interactions, the interviews, have just been top-notch i've really enjoyed since you well taken. i mean
1: colleen we appreciate it and i'm happy that we're able to give you a second career here right as the cfo of the company and for that matter director of marketing right all right let's round it out with bob bob you are up on a what do we call it again eddie free-flowing friday right bob how are you how are you jared i'm fine <laughs> you know bob now you sound like a hearty fellow uh, are you a native of indianapolis bob I'm a
7: native of Lafayette. I'm a Purdue Boilermaker
1: fan. Did you hear the sad news off the top of the show about Jim Rowinsky? No. you know uh, Jim Rowinski did pass away, and I was saying uh, he was kind of the first in that mold of just the total Gene Katy blue-collar, hard-helmet, hard-working, bruising player that just got better year by year by year, and he was the first that opened the floodgates for a lot of great players that have followed that mold in terms of just transforming themselves into becoming really good players at Purdue.
7: That's what I was going to say. He was a transformer. He just They beat him up, and Buddy they, they bruised on the basketball.
1: Um, Bob, what's on your mind today?
7: Well, uh, everything's great. I'm, I live in Lafayette, but I'm down here in Florida right now for a few months, waiting on you to come down to see the, uh, the Grand Prix.
1: Do you live near Maybe St. Pete, Bob?
7: I'm an hour away, so I'll be down. I was down there last year, and um, on Saturday, I snuck into the VIP and stood next to Doug Bowles for a while. Nice.
1: That's a, You yeah, know, I mean, was, I, my autobiography is going to be entitled, I Spent the Life Being Places I'm Not Supposed to Be, right? Um, well, I did I did that forever, but
7: then 9-1, 9-11 changed a lot of that.
1: So, Well, that is true. That is true. They don't
7: let you into everything. But, so,
1: Bob, uh, will you be at the St. Pete race this year? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, I'm a, I am ai don't know if you have my cell phone number, Bob. I give it out on the air on a regular basis, but I want you to I, lock I, it in, and if you're coming to the race, I won't be down there until Friday, but on Saturday, I want you to text me when you're at the racetrack, and I'll, we can walk around and have fun, all right?
7: That sounds like a great deal. And also, I'll be riding in the car, and I listen to your show down here, and my wife's like, that guy's just like you. He asks so many stupid questions to people. <laughs>
1: Well, Bob, I do what I can, right? I, I know, and I, I I want to take a road trip with you, Jay. Bob, hey, I'll tell you what: if if my flight gets canceled for St. Pete, we'll road trip back to Indy together. How's that? We'll even stop at Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga and go up the incline. We'll have a, some brief jerky at bucky's too. <laughs> that's that's exactly right, Bob. I appreciate it. Uh, Bob on a Friday. See, that's what we do, right?
2: It's fun. Man of the Little people over there with your questions. Free-flowing <laughs> Friday. Well, I do ask dumb questions. There's no doubt about that. You always preface it, though, and I appreciate that about you. You always you always lead in with, hey, this might be stupid, but more often than not, they're like, you know Jake, that's not a stupid you question. You know what's actually interesting,
1: kidding aside, is it is fascinating to me the number of times that I will say, this is probably a really dumb question, and then people are like, actually? Yeah. I'm, You know, that's not a dumb question. Okay, so that said, Jimmy, floor is yours. Tell me what you got upcoming this weekend, and other than the fact that your Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, tell me the reason that you are
2: feeling good now that the sun's out in Indy. Well, it was I it was outlined by Ike earlier, and I tried to say it, but he just did it better. We are in a countdown phase now to the month of May, and he highlighted it about Super Bowl, All-Star Weekend, all that good stuff, and then it's March Madness, then you blink, and we're in the countdown to the greatest spectacle in racing. So that's probably my top reason for why I'm happy right now. In terms of this weekend, uh, a shout-out to Ron Colley Girls Basketball. The Royals are in the sectional semifinal against Pike tonight, 6 o'clock. If I can do a free pub here, roncolleymedianetwork.com, if you're available, you can join us for the Royals. And then if they win that, Saturday's a chance to win a sectional championship for Jason Sims and his program. So that is my weekend plans. Hopefully the Royals are celebrating going on to regionals.
1: Eddie Garrison, on a Friday where we saw the sun yesterday for the first time in nine and a half weeks, you tell me what you're feeling good about heading into the weekend.
3: A couple different things here. Uh, So last night, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers traded away a Cy Young candidate and Corbin Burns to the cute fella. The oh, Baltimore yeah. Orioles, big fan of the cute fellow. Yeah. yeah, so feel good in regards of the future of the Cincinnati Reds winning the NL Central because now I have a little bit more optimism <laughs> that the uh, that the one pitcher that they struggle with down is the competition of the, of division. the divisions. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes. 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 All right. Um, in connection to that, baseball returns this month, and as Jimmy knows, I'm a big baseball guy, so I'm excited for that to return later this month. Were you ever upset in connection as to the a catcher that
1: that you would have had to report before everybody else? Um. <laughs> no.
3: Well. Yes, because we had 6 a.m. practices, so, yeah,
1: not fun. Yeah, that would not be good. And then go to class and then have afternoon practice or weights. I I know this will stun you, but that wouldn't have exactly been in my body rhythm, as we say, right?
2: You had 6 (laughs) a.m. Nice. You had 6 a.m. practices for two years here.
1: I did. did. Well, let's not kid ourselves. 6 a.m. was when the alarm went off the first time, right? 6.40, you leave the house, you roll in here at 7, and let's rip and run and let's go, right? Um, going to be a good weekend. Pacers in action tonight. Taking on the Sacramento Kings going to the game tonight. All right. Uh, tomorrow I look forward to, and let's go back to it because it's the beginning, um, to, to go back to that and put a bow tie on it tomorrow for Matthew. I'm going to go and I've already got for him a table and I have somebody that is giving a lamp that I'll be picking up and then also an office chair and a recliner. So then we still need for Matthew a bed frame. A I have a small dress on that. What's that?
3: Wes Ingram in the, the, the lounge, or not the lounge, that's JMV, but the break room says yep. that he can get Matthew a bed frame, probably a table with two benches instead of chairs. Um, and he says that he can probably get everything that Matthew
2: needs, but they just need to get in touch. Benches wow. are a solid accessory, by the way. Hot take, totally. it might be better than chairs, because yeah. you got that extra length. I don't know. I truly like the bench concept. And
3: no, no, nothing wrong with that, right? right? Are you a okay. bench guy, Jimmy? Do you have benches at we have Casa benches Day
2: out cook? We have benches outside. You said got Wes it.
1: came up with that? Yeah, Wes Ingram. Okay, Wes, we will... I'm going to get a hold of Wes, and then we'll, we'll go from there uh, to get this done. So I look forward to that tomorrow, because it's going to be sunny outside, right? And then... You know, as always, uh, on the weekends, on Friday and Saturday nights, I love Shane and I like to just go out to dinner and find a place to have a beer that probably is no longer on draft.
3: Do you have a question for you? Yes, sir. I'm not really familiar with the Hamilton Southeastern area. I will be there Saturday night and got any okay. good spots to go to. Olivia and I are going up there.
1: You know what? Fishers, it, it, actually, the whole area of Fishers, and I think it's off 116th, it's a little bit south or a little bit to the west of where HSE is. I, admittedly, Fishers is not my wheelhouse because. I've always joked, my, all of my friends moved north into Hamilton County, but I obviously grew up on the north side, and they always joke that I never go north of 96th Street. Um, but there is a great stretch right off of 116th. There's a Sun King right there, and I always forget the name of it. There's a fabulous Mexican restaurant right across from where the Sun King is, which is really good. Um there is a there's a 1939 there's an Emporium lounge up there which is really good too. 1939
3: really lounge good. in that or
2: 1933 in Are that Lamporian, area. What'd you
3: say? Al Emporium. Oh, I've had that one before. You.
2: Yeah. 1933 Saint Elmos, and then if you're looking for more of like a, a fish and chips and like bar food, uh, there's there's a, it, there's a Chatham Tap. What is it, Todd? The Chatham Tap up there. Uh, Torchy's
1: is good, but but there's also a Torchis is more like it is a good place. Torchy's is a really good recommendation, and then there's also like a sit down like fancier Mexican restaurant right across the street from it. But Torchy's is very good, very good. Uh, Pacers in action tonight. Sacramento Kings. We will get into that and let you know what happened last night in New York just in terms of what that might mean for tonight. Kevin Bowen also joining us 2 o'clock. It is Querying Company here on a Friday, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
4: Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Thank you everyone, for participating in our little experiment. Speaking of buckets of sunshine, last night, uh, Jalen Brunson had buckets galore, right? A 40 spot. Man, he just was... He was in a groove that was just hard... To get out of, you know what i mean? like hard to get him out of it. I guess is a better way of saying it. He he just he looked I thought and it's been a while, Jimmy since we've seen this. But it's been a while since we've seen the Pacers in a situation where they've got a player that they just kind of can't keep up with the speed of it. And you know, certainly defensively, the beginning of the year, the Pacers were like a turnstile on the wings but it wasn't necessarily like a guy that was just driving down the lane and the lane wasn't sealed off for them um and then in addition to that you know New York's ability in transition notably to pull up from 3 especially in the fourth quarter when they cut the lead down and then eventually you know took the lead away from Indiana It just—it was one of those games where it really did feel to me like a vintage Pacers game because you're on the road and the crowd's going against them and you just felt the energy kind of slipping away from the Pacers. And so much of that was just a crowd at Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? Um, And I know it's a game you want to get, but I guess if we're keeping with the optimistic theme here, Jimmy, it was – An overwhelmingly, like, fun environment to watch. I mean, it was frustrating as hell, but it was fun to watch, right? And just the energy of it and, you know, the Pacers going on the road into an environment in New York, in the Garden, and you're like, here we go, you know? And now you got Sacramento coming tonight. Obviously, Sabonis has been a great player for the Kings, but I think the one thing about that trade that brought Halliburton here, and we'll see what happens in terms of his minutes tonight and how much he gets in the fourth quarter, for example. But the real win for Sacramento in that trade was the fact that De'Aaron Fox has been unleashed. And he has been, you know, we can we can talk all we want about Sabonis, and that's obviously going to be the focus from an Indiana standpoint. But De'Aaron Fox has been really good for them. And that's why it was a 50-50 trade, I think, because Sacramento, sure, they gave up Halliburton, but it allowed Fox to really kind of, you know, blossom there and then you combine him with the interior play and the stuff they get from Sabonis, and that's why, for them, it worked out. Yeah, they light the world on fire
2: last year. They get into a battle of historic proportions with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, wind up losing them in seven games because Steph goes nuclear and has one of another all-time great performance to his resume. And I do want to look at the Kings, but, but back at why I'm with you, that there's a reason for some optimism, even in a loss against the Knicks, given the circumstance for the Pacers, why it's frustrating for me and what I don't want to have happen two months from now is to look back at this stretch for the Pacers where they're massaging the injuries of Tyrese Halliburton and they're balanced balancing everything out and trying to map out the second half of the season is I don't want to look back and think this stretch because veterans didn't step up, because they got out rebounded every now and again, because they didn't have a true closer on the floor late in games. I don't want to look back at this and say that's the difference between being a playoff team and being a play-in team. Because when you look at the state of that playoff picture right now, and I get it, it's February and we still have plenty of games left on the schedule, a whole half of basketball left to be played. Realistically speaking, barring the Pacers going on a hot streak, which could happen, they're looking at six, maybe five as a seed option that is we best case scenario for them as it stands right now. And that would be a playoff team. Miami's right behind them. They're a game and a half out of that sixth spot. And Miami's been dreadful the last month. Overall, their last 10 games, they're three and seven. And they're struggling. And it feels like the Pacers have maybe leapfrogged them in terms of this hierarchy of the Eastern Conference post-Pascal Siakam trade because they've taken a big swing and the Heat have Terry Rozier is their big acquisition they've done before the trade deadline. So my larger point here is That is who is chasing you, along with Orlando and maybe Chicago, and it's only a two-game lead. And anything can happen when you get in the stretch run of an NBA playoff race. I just don't want to look back at this and say, man, I wish they could have closed out a little better in January and built a cushion that gave them more room for error in the back half of the season to the point that instead of being a playoff team, comfortably in, now you're having to go through the gauntlet of the play-in tournament. I think the thing that we have to remind ourselves of
1: is the fact that, and this is obviously kind of an odd thing now to look back on, but at the beginning of the season, let's go back actually a year ago, at the beginning of last season, you had... And I've told this story before. I've never had this happen before. I've covered the Pacers in some capacity for 25 years. I don't know. I mean, off and on, intermittently and in different various roles, admittedly. But I've been a credentialed media member of the Indiana Pacers since, in some form or fashion, since essentially the 98 Bulls-Pacers playoffs. Okay? And last year, maybe this has happened before, and it was the first time I was invited. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. But the Pacers sent out an invitation to the local media and said, why don't you come out for some finger foods and an open forum Q&A? Okay. So we go out there, and Rick Carlisle... Actually, I take that back. I don't know that Carlisle was there. Chad Cannon was there for sure. Kevin Pritchard was absolutely there. Kelly was there for sure. And they come out and they say, look, we, we, we're glad everybody's here. We just want to get to know everybody and chat and talk. But here's the thing. We've decided that we're going to start this thing from scratch. We are optimistic about Tyrese Halliburton and the amount of lobs that he's going to be able to create and play above the rim. We really like, I remember Kevin Pritchard coming over and and we're chatting and and he said, man, I'll tell you what, people are going to love Andrew Nimhard and the way he can play. He's right. I mean, Andrew Nimhard's a really good piece for them. But I'd never seen that before where they were so candid and transparent. And I think what they were doing was they were basically saying, listen. We aren't going to be very good for a while. We're going to lose a lot of games. And it's going to be, to quote Philadelphia, a process. And we need people to understand that. And we're hoping that people are with us on the ground floor because we're going to try our best to make sure that the elevator ride is a fun one until the doors open and we're going to see what floor we're on in the hotel and hope it's a, it's the one that has the pool and, and all of the amenities. And that was literally like 18 months ago. And at that time, the thought was that the Pacers were like a three to four year project and bi- projects maybe be the wrong word, but build, I think they felt optimistic that Tyrese Halliburton was, was going to be a piece for them, but they thought it was going to be over the course of like a two or three year process. And then it was going to be piece by piece, like the other great Pacer teams that we have seen being built kind of the old fashioned way, but this is a different NBA. And you can make a trade or get a key free agent signing or whatever else and accelerate that process. And, Jimmy, I think we have to remind ourselves now that 18 months later that we are still only to the halfway point of what the original time frame was going to be. But that
2: doesn't take away from what you're
1: saying of the fact that, but you're here now.
2: Yeah. I mean, they are – And they've put themselves here. Totally. Like that Pascal Siakam trade. Totally. I'm not saying that... And to be clear, I want to clarify this on the front end. And I said this to you in September. Whether it was fair or not, this is just my belief of where the Pacers roster was then. My bar for them was six seed or better. Was that bullish? Was that aggressive? Absolutely. Is that necessarily what the Pacers had for themselves? I don't know. I like to think that your logic on that, Jake, of this is what they were honest about 18 months ago that hasn't drastically changed. Like They're still in the process of building this thing the right way. So maybe I was setting the bar a little too high for them. But then subsequently from that, Tyrese Halliburton has his I've arrived in the NBA moment as a franchise player. They make that deep run in the in-season tournament. And then they go acquire Pascal Siakam. And maybe internally, all things are good. Maybe they feel like we're on the appropriate timeline. But it's tough from my seat And I'm sure from the fan base as well, when maybe your expectations for them for this year were higher than others, and then they take the big swing of bringing in a name like Siakam, and now it feels like you got to seize this opportunity.
1: Here's the thing. I agree with that. Um, You know, with Siakam, you got to, I do think that he's going to be, I have nothing to base this on, but it. It seems as though things are lining up for Pascal Siakam to, in fact, become a long-term player for Indiana, right? But the thing I love about Siakam is this, Jimmy. I used to watch games with my dad, and he would say this a lot. The team that we'd be rooting for in sports, he'd say, gosh, it just feels like the other team just comes down and scores, and we've got to work so hard at it, and with Siakam on the floor... And I'm not giving anything that people in Toronto aren't haven't been aware of for a long time, but with Siakam on the floor, it definitely feels like the the Pacers when they come down. You're like, you know what? Like they got a guy here that can get that's just buckets, right? I mean, I love Nimhard's ability in the mid range, his ability to all of a sudden just like kind of dri- like pull up from like that twelve. 12- I mean, it's a lost art. Yeah. And I love that, right? But Siakam's a guy when defenses are and the play's breaking down or whatever else. It's like you get him the ball and he just finds a way to the basket. He, he can he can deviate from like set things and kind of go like whether it be isolation or transition. Like he's gonna get you. He has buckets, right? To use a, a, a West Fourth Street term, he's buckets. Yeah. And it's been a long time, Jimmy, since they've had that where you're just like.
2: This feels good, right? And you want to pair him up with the ultimate point guard, the ultimate distributor that is supposed to further unlock what Pascal Siakam was as an offensive weapon in Toronto when they went all the way and won the Larry O'Brien trophy. Again, he was younger. They had Kawhi Leonard. They were a really good team. I'm not saying the Pacers should be at that level right now or that's where the expectation should be, but it's hard not to want that right now because it's dangled out in front of you. And I get it. It's the situation. I'm not saying go be reckless and put Tyrese Halliburton out there for 40 minutes a game right now. But a game in January matters just as much as a game in April. You're right. And I just, I don't want to look back. I'm not going to look back with malice, but I don't want to look back with regret, depending on how these next seven games goes. And who knows, maybe Tyrese is back on Tuesday, like we simulated in our minds, no reports to base that off of just our assumption. Maybe he's back, and then they close strong, and this is a thing we can laugh about comfortably when they're a six seed in the playoffs, and they're probably a postseason team either way. I just don't want to look back two months from now and be like, "Man, remember that stretch in January where they totally. didn't have Tyrese?" No, that's fair. And that's fair. Now they're in a play-in. the to-
1: Jimmy, the one positive could be that they're learning how to play without Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. and as a result of that, guys like Nimhard, yeah. you know, they just—I mean, it's, it only strengthens you, right? Correct. Yes. By the way, and I do like this. Somebody said, Jake, what about the Friday flow? strong right i like it yes the friday flow for our free flow and friday just the friday flow is simpler that's pretty strong shannon recommends for you by the way king jug brewing
3: she's listening well or did you text her
1: (laughs) i think i think what happened is uh her computer must have frozen um king jug brewing which is really good that's a good
2: place did it freeze and it's just Eddie on a loop asking, hey, what's good in Fishers? Hey, what's good in Fishers? <laughs> Fishers district, everybody else is pointing out, by the way. Now, one,
1: I have tonight a bit of a dilemma. I have a a bit of a dilemma this evening. I can't deny it. And it's something that's kind of the depths within me. And I feel like today, since we're just doing this positivity open forum Friday that I need to confess to you guys something that I've mentioned on the radio before, but it's been a while, but it is creating confliction with me for tonight. Okay. All right. You actually have to serve out jury duty. You know, Derek Schultz just got picked for jury duty and got picked on the jury. Oh. And then at the end of the trial, the judge, you're allowed to ask questions to the judge. And the judge, Derek, asked a question, and the judge said, you know, that's such a good question from Juror Schultz that I think he should get a Fudgy the Whale cake. (laughs) How about that? Now, my confliction tonight and my dilemma this evening might actually irritate Shannon, and she's unaware of it. So we got to hope that her computer unfroze and she's not and she was able to change to a different music format or something so that she's not listening because i gotta confess this to you right you don't
2: know where to go to be let down by the keg being blown (laughs) gotta figure that out no we're, we're
1: we are going to the game ah but i'll let you know of my dilemma next and then kevin bowen in 12 jimmy cook
4: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: When you were a student at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, did you frequent yogis?
2: A little bit. Loved Yogi's. It wasn't a regular spot, but we would go there and enjoyed it every time. And we're sad when it had it closed while we were there. When I was a
1: student at Indiana University, and I mentioned this to Kevin a few times, I believe, back in the days when you had satellite dishes. You know, when I worked at Channel 6, I knew how satellite dishes worked because I worked at a TV station where we would... Um, beam out and downlink frequencies on a satellite dish so i knew like you know what what it meant like telstar 4 k21 which was like basically the satellite dish was like a huge knob on your television and you're turning it to point to the sky to a particular satellite where it then takes the beam coming down from it so in my capacity of working at channel six and understanding satellite dishes which anybody did there that doesn't make me special My buddy Jeff Hester and I were huge Pacer fans, grew up huge Pacer fans. Jeff's dad had season tickets. We would go to games down at Market Square Arena. And we loved the Pacers. And there was, I mean, I will always be so grateful for the fact that, and I think for a lot of my buddies, the reason we're such big Pacer fans was because we all turned 21 in 93 and 94 so that first run for the Pacers, that first breakthrough, the Reggie game, the you know, the 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 choke with Spike Lee, all of that was the first year that we were all twenty one years old and able to go out to bars. And it was awesome. I mean, it was just such a, a bonding thing for all of us. So we love the Pacers. But of course when you're in college, it's all about trying to be different, right? It's why like hipster clothing is popular, right? You know, there's nothing better than like for like when you're in college and you're like walking around and you're like, why is that guy wearing a Fat Lever Nuggets jersey? Well, because it's different, you know. <laughs> so Hester and I had this idea that we were that everybody loved the Pacers, but we're like, we need a Western Conference team. Who who's the Western Conference team that we can be a fan of? And so we're like, the Sacramento Kings are kind of the Pacers of the West. Sacramento's the state capital. It's about the size of Indianapolis. You know, they're they're kind of a, they're a franchise that's kind of been trying to break through a little bit. So at Channel Six, I fa- I managed to find the satellite coordinates for like fifteen Kings games, and Jeff Hester and I would go to Yogi's in Bloomington and give the coordinates to them, and they would like move the satellite dish, and we would after the Pacer game stay and watch it like ten thirty at night the Sacramento Kings. And then back in the day when everybody had the T-shirts that just said, like, Pacers basketball, Magic basketball, like the warm-up T-shirts, we went and bought Sacramento Kings ones. And, and we were, fa- I mean, we were like bandwagon fans of the Sacramento Kings. And sports, have, I've always said, is about nostalgia. I've always kind of liked Sacramento. That's like my my other team. Now, is that weird as a fan to say that there's a team that, like, and I know now, you know, I have kind of an objectivity about the Pacers because we cover it, and so. But Shannon is, you know, her, the Pacers are a major part of her fiber, and she loves everything about the Pacers, and so we go to games, and I know what it means to her. I, I, I see not as much anymore, but it, there was a time where I mean, every single game to her was all about the Pacers, and so we're going to the game tonight, and but there, and I and I I will. I guess, you know, want to see the Pacers win. But there's a part of me that kind of likes Sacramento, and she gets very territorial about, like, you can't root for the other team, right? Which I get. So I'm a little conflicted because if Sacramento wins, you know, part of me is like, yeah, it's kind of cool. like deep down, I, I kind of like Sacramento. Now, is that bad?
2: Is that weird no, that I, I have, like... I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's weird. You could disguise it, like, for example, and I'll try to watch for this tonight as I have the game on. Because you're going, right? You mentioned you're going. I am going, yes. All right, so I'll try to find you, but you're just like, this is for the video audience. Apologize the audio audience. I'll explain what I'm doing in a second. Oh no. Oh man. You got the, the <laughs> it's a it's a fist bump to yourself, but you're expressing frustration that the king scored. You gotta hide it, right? It's like you're tucking the football down, Jimmy. Right. Like you're a
3: running back, you're getting out into the clear, you know? Exactly. You break away.
2: Oh, Darn it. Oh, I had a clap. I don't know what happened there. You got to disguise it. I mean, if you... Okay. You're a
1: fan of the Chiefs, right? Yeah. Who's your kind of NFC team? There's got to be one, right? There's got to be one that you're like, you know, I've always kind of liked them. They're cool. If the Kansas City Chiefs can't go, I'm cool with them.
2: Probably the the Vikings. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I like the purple uniforms. People, in Minnesota, or people of Minnesota are people. Kind of a similar me, history as Kansas yeah. City, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, Eddie, you're a Reds fan, right? Yes, sir. So who's your kind of American League team?
3: Oh, that's a good question.
1: Cute fella? Mm-hmm.
3: Texas Rangers.
1: Okay. Is that because you predict, You said they'd win the World Series and they did, right? Mm-hmm. was not you that predicted that?
3: Yeah, and then they had a couple of Reds that went over there back in the day and I followed them over there. So I was like, you know what?
1: Sure, they'll be so who's your team. Western conference kind of team Jimmy Cook I think we all have this in sports yeah. don't we you have your favorite team but don't we all have that other team that you're like yeah they're kind of cool I, I think it's weird when people are like you know I'm a, like on, on Twitter you look at somebody's profile and it's like uh
2: and they list like nine teams and you're like dude really I always um I always really enjoyed the history of the SuperSonics And then when they moved to Oklahoma City, like I, I I thought that was like I felt bad for Seattle, but like I thought that was so probably OKC. I don't know. I mean, they're they're basically at a seller team of you never really there a lot of picks, but maybe Oklahoma City. Eddie,
3: your Western Conference kind of team, like like Jimmy Oklahoma City, but goes back to when like Russell Westbrook and James Harden and Kevin Durant were all there,
2: and And they have
3: SGA.
1: Okay, that's cool. My kind of Western team's here tonight.
4: Kevin Bowen's next. Our next g- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
2: guest is Kevin Bowen. You hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, he covers the Colts on 107.5thefan.com. Pacers as well. The area I want to start, though... They've had all this positivity, and I'm going to be the black cloud here. I'm going to bring it back down because, Kevin, IU is on life support, IU basketball, when it comes to their tournament hopes, and I didn't realize this historical nugget. If I could take you back for a second, KB, when I was a freshman in Indiana, IU was fighting to try to stay alive, same kind of boat, tournament hopes, it was the Tom Crean era, Yogi Ferrell is there. As a sophomore at the time, I believe. And they lose to Penn State at home. And we were at Eigerman dormitory at IU. And we had to you walk. You lived at Eigerman. Lived at Eigerman freshman year. Okay. And we walked from, walked to the game, we walked back. It's a long walk for the donut IU's campus from Assembly Hall back there. Long walk, I have a viral video of my buddy who's just having a go to pieces because we just lost to Penn State at home. KB, IU-Penn State, when you look at this matchup, Penn State is quad three. You lose this game, you're likely done. Like, your hopes are done, barring you run the table. Should I get worried the last time Penn State just happened to win at Assembly Hall was that fateful night when I was a freshman?
8: Boy, I'm still picturing the walk from Assembly Hall to Ida I mean, brutal. I would be bussing that. that was brutal. You know, I, can we not <laughs> a buss it or b buss it? We probably could. Have. The,
2: we probably could have.
8: Yeah, I'm trying of picturing what the bus pattern was back then. Well, um, I've seen Penn State once this year. It was at Purdue, and they looked absolutely awful at basketball. Um, I know there's some you know moments that they have looked better than that, um, but yeah, it, I mean, you just laid it out there. I, I guess let's start with injuries, right? I mean, where are we at? Is Xavier Johnson, Malik Renew playing? It sounded like they avoided maybe disaster, but still um, I would think that they they, they probably are iffy at, at best for tomorrow. And then, um, you yeah, know, next week, obviously you got two huge, huge road games. If you even want to get close to sniffing any sort of whatever, next four, next four, next four out. As the month of February moves along, I, uh, again, I, I think Penn State stinks, but I, I I would like to think that Indiana could hold serve at Assembly Hall, but who knows what their availability is going to look like tomorrow.
1: I guess the real question, Kevin, and I'd have to really check their schedule here, but you know Indiana can't really afford any quote-unquote bad losses, but more so they've got to look at their schedule and find out how many – opportunities they have remaining to get really good quality wins i mean kevin they're not even really right now in the discussion what like
2: there's three there's three purdue i'm taking off the board there are i guess the question becomes
1: kevin is if there's three do three quality wins for indiana put them over the top at this point because you're looking at like the the low 90s like 100 in terms of overall ranking of those sorts of things
8: Yeah, I mean, unless there's smarter bracketologists out there, at Purdue's a must and home to Wisconsin's a must. I mean, the Big Ten's not very good this year. I mean, when you think about it in in normal standard, am I missing like these other, you know, really quality wins? The non-conference resume is very ugly for Indiana uh, in terms of, you know, any sort of wins, let alone any wins away from home. Uh, It's not like they've won games really away from home yet in the Big Ten. I, I can't imagine Michigan is any sort of quality win at this point. So yeah, if we are, boy, i frankly, I'm shocked that we're even discussing Indiana as a possible tournament team. I mean, Wisconsin are, are must wins. I mean like that. I mean, point blank period, there's nothing away from home and there's nothing of substance on the resume. And that's, I mean, based off how the committee is operated, that's what matters. Like you have to beat quality and win away from your own building. And there is neither of that. I mean, Nebraska has won quality games. Look at them. I mean, they, you know, beaten Purdue and they've beaten Wisconsin and yet you still sit there with Nebraska and like they're a bubble team cuz they haven't won a Big 10 game away from home. So, you know, Indiana doesn't even sniff that from a quality I mean, what is Indiana's best win, I guess? Is it is it Ohio State? Like and, and uh, probably, where are they, right? right?
2: Well, so the, yeah. the the Ohio State game on the road, because it's a road game, it's one through 75 is what becomes a quad one win, a significant signature win when you're playing in somebody else's place. They're 70th right now. So what you're looking at is if you beat them, does that push them below the threshold where there would be a quad one win to the committee? You're having to root for Ohio State the rest of the year and hope that they battle things out. Potentially, the, North, the Nebraska game, when they come here, I, I doubt it unless they pick up steam on the road, like you mentioned, Kevin, they've yet to win a game on the road in the Big Ten. If Nebraska is able to do that, maybe that pushes enough to become a high or a low quad one win at home. But yeah, outside of that, the picture is as bleak as, as it stands right now. Ohio State on the road, Purdue on the road, at home against Wisconsin, and at home against Michigan State to end the season are the only signature quad one wins you could stack. But at this point... You have none, so any of those you'd welcome, it just it still might not be enough with the position they're in.
8: And yeah, again, I, I will stand by at Purdue and at home to Wisconsin are must wins. Um, if not that, you are gonna have to win the Big Ten tournament. I, I, I just don't see how a resume could look <laughs> attractive enough, frankly, come mid March. And that's why you look at you know at Illinois last week, and, and certainly the Kansas game earlier in the year. And it was hard to just really kind of clap your hands at the, you know, hey, moral victory, blah, blah, blah. Like, they just weren't in a position to celebrate that because the resume doesn't have anything of substance on it. So, yeah, that's what really makes, you know, last Saturday kind of falling apart over the last minute and certainly the Kansas game falling apart there in the second half. That's what makes them really, really sting. Because if you get one of those two, I I probably don't laugh at the conversation as much as – I laugh at it right now because, frankly, there's there's really no conversation.
1: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him every morning, of course, on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Um, Kevin, obviously, one of your areas uh, of note amongst many is your coverage of the Colts. So I want to touch on that and get to that here. Um, the first, I'm going to ask you the question that I asked Stephen Holder at the beginning of the week. The Colts were obviously very close to the postseason this year. And, you know, I mean, a quarter away, probably, if you want to look at it in those terms. But as you have watched now the playoffs unfold and the elite level of play that we see that would catapult one into the Super Bowl what areas do you note or did you recognize as you're watching Kansas City San Francisco Detroit you know whoever it may be where you say that's what the Colts are missing that's what separates those teams in the and the divide is perhaps greater than it looks on paper
8: Yeah, I don't know if there's a universal thing, Jake, amongst all four, but just in general, I I would say playmaking. Um, I think the Colts, offensively, they obviously lacked it. I mean, that that was pretty clear to anybody who watched the Colts this year. They just lack, I think, truly, truly explosive playmakers. You know, Jonathan Taylor went healthy, I think, is that. But certainly he was not that for much, if at all, really in 2023. And Michael Pittman, for as quality of a player as he is, I still don't think he checks that box. And defensively, I just don't think he had enough, you know, really timely playmaking if you want to get, you know, and kind of boil it down to a specific thing. Uh, those moments where, you know, you need to get off the field or you need the game-changing turnover or you know, something along those lines, uh, you couldn't find that. So th- that's probably where I would go. I mean, specifically if you look at these last two teams, I think it's worth pointing out. You know, Andy and I talked about this earlier in the week. You know, both of them are in different stages of very impressive runs. Kansas City, in my mind, is a budding dynasty. Uh, San Francisco has had a really, really nice run here over the last few years with very different quarterback play. And both of them took advantage of, you know, I'd say notable swings, if not big swings, you know, when their respective QBs were on manageable deals. And I think it's critical for the Colts to view this offseason in that light and view the upcoming offseason in that light. I mean, if you go back to Kansas City's first Super Bowl, and Jimmy knows this full well, I mean, they don't win that game without Sammy Watkins. They don't win that game without Frank Clark, without the Honey Badger. I mean, again, guys that maybe aren't long-term guys, but certainly guys that kind of got them over the hump with that first Super Bowl. And then if you look at San Francisco, I mean, it is rather incredible to look at their roster and see the top flight guys they are paying at positions. I mean, you could count six, maybe seven guys that are like top of the market money uh, at their respective positions, whether it's Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel or George Kittle or Trent Williams. And then defensively, you start in the front you know, front four with Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and, and, and Fred Warner, a linebacker. I mean, that is remarkable to see a team in today's cap be able to manage it like that. And, and I say manage it, a huge reason why, is because they barely play, pay Brock Purdy anything. So uh, I think those are probably a couple things. A little bit more like outside of just the play on the field a little bit more of like roster management construction where that really stands out to me. Both of them in different ways uh, have taken advantage of, you know, cheaper deals. Obviously Kansas City's no longer on that. Bob Mahomes is, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of all time. But um, in the here and now, uh, both of them have, have done that in different ways.
2: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Find his work on 107.5thefan.com. For my next question, one nugget with that, you bring up the Sammy Watkins aspect of that. I was obviously elated when they did it because he's a former number one overall pick, and I loved Sammy Watkins in college, and his biggest bugaboo at that point was he couldn't stay healthy. Sometimes you find overexpensive contracts when you have the luxury of that rookie deal, and that was via trade. You can do it via trade. You can do it in free agency. There's plenty of ways to help build around your young quarterback. And speaking of that young quarterback, Kevin had a piece on 107.5thefan.com earlier this week. If you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to do so. Does Anthony Richardson need to change playing style in his de facto rookie campaign coming up this fall? And Kevin, I want you to summarize the key points from that. But as I took it, it's not as much putting the unicorn in the box and changing what he does best as much as it is limiting it to more effective situations where he can still be him, but not being recklessly. So where they're putting him in situations where re-injury could potentially occur.
8: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, Jimmy. Um, Limit, not eliminate. That's a phrase that I've used a lot. I used in the article, I'll continue to use it when it comes to Richardson and, and the run usage for him. Like, no matter what, I mean, come week one of next year, Anthony Richardson is going to be a run threat for whatever opponent the Colts have. No matter, you know, he could carry it two times in the entire game. And, you know, come week two, they're still going to have to, you know, acknowledge that. I, I go back to, if you guys remember, ironically, it was the game that he got hurt in and, and ended the season. But if you go back to that big Zach Boss touchdown against Tennessee in week five, and you go back and look at that play, it's a third and one. And they give it to Moss up the middle. And I think it was Kevin Byard, Tennessee safety. I want to say somebody else. There was another defender. I forget if it was a linebacker or a corner or who. But both of them are so occupied with Richardson as the run threat, as the guy that you know, could keep it instead of just sticking in the belly of Moss and, and not keeping it, that they you know, kind of clear out that area to where um, once Moss gets to that second level, if you will, Zach Moss, a guy that no one would label as some explosive runner, he's gone, and he's in the open field. You know, and that is because of the run threat of Richardson. So to me, the run threat is always going to be there. You don't have to run him into the ground to where you're you know, making him susceptible to more hits throughout a game. So um, I think if you look at it, I want to say he aver- when he played full games or close to full games, I should say, because there weren't many of them, I think he was right around like 10 carries a game. I kind of look at that, okay, what, what if that number becomes six? And if you take out four carries a game and you, you know, times that out by 17 games, you're going to eliminate a good amount of hits against them. I don't think you eliminate the threat of him. And the threat of him is such a weapon that, again, the Colts haven't had in years. So as long as the threat is still there, there can be times and places where you certainly use him. Uh, I mean, hell, Fortune 1 against Houston would have been that exact play, but it's just staying away from, honestly, probably staying away from the run he got hurt on. And that was an early second quarter um, run play that, you know, probably wasn't necessary. So focus on the third down, focus on the fourth down, focus on the red zone when you do utilize those legs for him. Now, again, this is me talking. I, I, I don't think the Colts necessarily agree with that. Um, Shane Steichen strikes things to do. It's like, nope, uh, we drafted him four overall for a reason, and I'll run him as much as I want to run him. I'm not asking for him to change his play style. I, I think that's foolish. But I am asking for Shane Steichen, I think, to realize longevity is critically important for this kid uh, within a season, within a career. And if you can trim down some of those hits while still making sure the threat is there, I think that would be really
1: wise. Kevin, in what ways do you think, if at all, that Chris Ballard philosophically has evolved on the job?
8: That's a good question. Um, I think the presence of Steichen helps in that I do think they are a little bit more um, just kind of opening their eyes to different sorts of players. Um, Josh Downs would be an example of it last year. Um, I think Chris is pretty stringent on physical measures and, you know, those guys that – by the white opposition, I guess to continue the example, need to be a certain height and a certain weight. And, you know, if they're not, then their success rate isn't very high. Where Shane comes in, it's like, no. And, and again, I know all of these didn't work out, but I mean, Jake, I remember you and I even had this conversation one day at camp when they signed Amari Rogers from Clemson. And it was like, whether it's Josh Downs as a draft pick, whether it's Isaiah McKenzie as a free agent signing, whether it's Amari Rogers in training camp, those are, you know, kind of jitterbug type of whiteouts that, you know, are, are, are good types of players to diversify your wideout room with. So um, I think Shane has kind of helped Chris maybe look at it in that realm. So I'd say that is probably uh, one of the areas that I would point to. Um, I am curious, you know, with Richardson on a rookie contract, how does he react to that? Um, he has not had this. I want to say if you look at Richardson's number salary cap wise for this coming season, I want to say it's a 28th or 29th among all QBs. Uh, like just over, over 2 million uh, annually. And if you look at you know, quarterbacks around the league, pretty much half of them are double-digit in you know, millions that they're making. So, again, this is a time to to attack and um, to do some things that might be a little bit outside the box. There's an element of I'll believe it when I see it, but you just look around the league. Uh, various teams have done that. We talked about Kansas City and San Francisco, but, you know, whether it was – Stephon Diggs going to Buffalo, I think it was year two or year three of Josh Allen's career. You know, AJ Brown to Jalen Hurts, kind of in a similar time frame, year two to year three. Uh, you know, Tua getting Tyree Kill, year two to year three. Like, to me, those are just such valuable times to do some things that you can no longer do. Like Kansas City can no longer do that based off how they're paying Mahomes. Um, those are some things that I would like to see him try to explore as well.
1: Who's your coach of the year in the NFL?
8: I think if Kevin Stavansky is a no-brainer, I mean, I, I guess unless you want to take the playoffs into consideration, but yeah, I mean, he just called for a regular season. I
1: With mean, everything they had, they had to overcome?
8: Yeah, what, four different quarterbacks won a game? I mean, that's, I mean, right there, that's just a, that's that alone probably sets enough, but I mean, Nick Chubb blows out of his knee in week two, and I think they were down to, I mean, hell, the Ben Davis kid got banged up a tackle. He was starting a lot for him, that he was out for the year, and I think they were down to like the third or fourth offensive tackles there, and they had you know, defensive injuries too, so yeah, I would say yeah, Kevin Stefanski. If you just looked at you know what they lost, I also think, and I struggle with this at times as Coach of the Year, but like what is the award? Like, shouldn't Kyle Shanahan and and you know Andy Reid get credit for <laughs> like having their teams in the Super Bowl or right. because we well, thought he
1: good? Kevin, the same to that point, I've always wondered about this one: most improved player. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Comeback player of the year. Like, Baker Mayfield's up for comeback player of the year. And I'm like, well, what's he coming back from? Just not being very good? Right. I, I mean, and I, you know, there's most yeah, improved in comeback player of the year. I, to be comeback player of the year, I would think that, that it's because something happened where either you had an injury that set you out for a year or, I don't know, you, like, had cardiac arrest on the field. You know what I mean?
8: Right, yeah. Yeah, to me, like, comeback would be more of a – a, uh, most improved would be more of a Baker award to come back would be, you know, whatever, DeMar Hamlin, or, right. you know, guys that suffered those big injuries. Um, and, and I've used the big 10 coach analogy before, and this year probably is a decent example of it. Like, you know, should the big 10 coach of the year, like let's say Purdue wins on Sunday and runs the table. Should Matt painter, win coach of the year again in the big 10, or should we look at Fred Hoiberg or Chris Collins and say, no, they really overachieved. And, and, and like, that's why, well, I mean, Matt Painter deserves credit for having a program that doesn't need to overachieve. Like We already have their bar so high because of what he's done. I struggle with that with Coach of the Year. But still, having said all that, if you're going to make your pick, I'd go with Kevin
0: Spansky.
2: Kevin Bowen is our guest. Again, you could hear him weekdays on these very airwaves, 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin, when you look around at the success of other quarterbacks on a similar timeline, most notably C.J. Stroud, and the fact that it's in division, does that amplify at all? Maybe not the pressure, but the level of... In other words, how does it affect the timeline for Anthony Richardson, knowing that Lawrence is already there, even though the Jaguars fell off a cliff last season, and C.J. Stroud appears to be the shining beacon from that draft class. Where where does it change of anything, both internally and externally, the timeline and the expectations for Anthony Richardson when this is basically a de facto rookie season for him this fall?
8: Yeah, I mean, certainly AFC South has now become, I would say, much more of a competitive division, one to four, quicker than I thought. But I also think, to Richardson's credit, if there's one thing exiting this year, Jimmy, that I, I think of with Richardson, why... I might have questions about again the longevity of the career, like lasting deep into the twenties at at the level that you would like, and and those sorts of things. Just because dual threat guys typically don't, you know, last uh, to that level, they're going to have to become you know, a little bit more pocket oriented at some point. I do think Richardson showed in a small sample size, but I do think he showed like you can get return quicker on him than I previously thought. I mean, I think entering this past season, it was like, oh man, this is a redshirt year and you know, they're going to win whatever, you know, people, a lot of people I not thought like three or four games. And then, you know, maybe next year you sniff seven or something like that. And then, you know, maybe the third year is where you start to actually be like competitive towards the playoffs. And now I'm starting to think, you know, I, I think it'd be pretty disappointing if the Colts to make the playoffs next year. And obviously you got to see him for a full season. And I mean, hell, the kid played what? A quarter and a half on the road all year and, and you know, never outside of the Rams game. It was really in a ton of fourth-quarter moments. I guess week one maybe as well. But still, you got a lot there that you want to see him in. But I do think you can get, again, a little bit earlier return of you're a pretty legit team uh, in year two of his of his career. Um, but certainly the AFC South. I mean, and I know it might be minuscule to a lot of people, but I think kind of the sneaky storyline that didn't go in the Colts' favor here in the head coaching cycle is Bobby Slowick staying in Houston. As their offensive coordinator, um, I think if you're a Colts fan, you want as much turnover as possible for CJ Stroud and that staff in Houston over the years. Um, and the fact that you know of the eight openings, you know none of that went down that path. I do think that is you know a little bit of a bummer for the Colts.
2: Kevin, Pacers wise, I said this earlier on the show. This isn't a knock against them. It's just the reality of their situation. My bar for them to start the year was six seed or better, and then they go get Siakam, and it's like, well, that might be a real possibility. But then you've had the injuries fall for Tyrese Halliburton, and they've been really unable to get the proper separation that you would have liked in that seed situation, especially when a team like Miami, who's probably contending for that same spot to avoid the play in, have had their worst month of basketball arguably of the season the last four weeks. Do you worry at all that we might look back at this stretch, albeit somewhat out of the Pacers' hands, with what-if thoughts, if things don't go the way they want them to this year? Like, they could have solidified a spot in the playoffs versus being in the plan?
8: Honestly, I'd probably look back in November. I know it's a long time ago, but I just think Mm. squandering those home games at home um, is where I would point to. I mean, you lost to, what, four or five of those really, like, bottom-feeder type teams. I mean, Certainly last night was a disappointing loss. And you don't say that very often about road games. But, you know, Knicks are down three starters and, you know, four of their top whatever, seven. And you got a lead for 40 straight minutes or whatever it was, and you can't, you know, finish that off. And really, as you know, Brunson was outstanding, of course. But, I mean, you just got outworked and out-hustled. And I think that's what's disappointing about last night. But, yeah, I'd I point more ter- towards that early stretch. and It was kind of funny, you know, when we've had – Hart- and by the way, shout out. You guys, I really enjoyed all of them, but Aaron E. Smith and Ben Shepherd in particular. I mean, Tyrese is Tyrese, but um, I really enjoyed both of those interviews you guys had this week. Um, I think when you look back on the start of the season, when we had Rick Carlisle on leading into the, the year, he said to us and really didn't shy away from it, like, "Hey, we've got to take advantage of this road uh, or of this home plate um, early on." You know, he he certainly knew what lied ahead in January especially, and even this early February stretch, I think you'd label as difficult. Um, But I think Pat Boylan had the stat earlier. I saw like the third easiest schedule the rest of the way after Friday. Um, Now, again, part of it's like, well, they haven't really taken advantage of those teams to the level that you would like. But uh, if for some reason you get to mid-April and they're in the play-in or, you know, even they're in the sixth seed or something like that, I think I'll point more towards November in that they were pretty healthy then, too, you know, Halliburton hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, you, 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 you've had some guys in and out of the lineup here over the last week or two, or really probably more like the last month, and the schedule, again, has toughened up. So I'd probably go to November 1st.
1: Kevin Bowen, our guest. Kevin, the weekend looks like what for you, and what do you guys have slotted in for Monday to start our week next week?
8: Weekend is pretty light, which I am very pleased with. If you guys want to come over, we got a big Notre Dame at Pittsburgh game tomorrow. i invited Jake over to boy. Um, I don't know forty some Notre Dame basketball games, and he never made it. Uh, so yeah, six six o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, if you guys, we can go. We can flip back and forth between Indiana State and Drake during the commercials, if you guys would like.
1: But, That's a big one, man.
8: Uh, well, well, yeah, big one for Notre Dame. Yeah, certainly need to <laughs> need to get <laughs> okay. off. Yeah, certainly need to get off the mat here. Um, I've struggled a bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, and then next week, uh, well, I caught up with you guys in the hallway after you guys show yesterday. We did catch up with former Colts safety George Odom. Uh, I'm not sure how much that name will resonate, but, you know, former All-Pro special teamer here. Caught up with him. We recorded that interview as he gets ready for the Super Bowl, so we'll certainly play that back uh, next week. And we have P.J. Carlissimo at some point next week. Uh, so looking forward to that. I always enjoy it and his insights, so uh, and hopefully a couple other Super Bowl-related guests.
1: Do not us. ask about Latrell Sprewell. That's all I'll say. Is
8: that, uh, is that uh, from experience you're saying that?
1: Well, P.J. Carlissimo, who is a really fun personality and, and was a great coach, uh, although he did knock Indiana out of the tournament in 89 when he was with Seton Hall, and I've never uh, gotten over that. But <laughs> P.J. Carlissimo, a lot of people forget when Latrell Sprewell, one of the pre – you know, it ended up getting – kind of overshadowed years later by the brawl. But the biggest suspension, I believe, at the time in NBA history was to Latrell Sprewell when he choked P.J. Carlissimo when they were at Golden State together.
8: Right. I I definitely remember that. I guess, has he talked about it on record since? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good –
1: I would imagine at this point – I mean, I was being flippant. I would imagine at this point – Sure. Why don't you ask him? They probably would have – yeah, that's right. (laughs) Ask him, right? They had to have done something, I would think, together since then, right? Lead off with that, actually. Because – I'm Sprewell, say, I think, yeah, actually I'm, turned out to be a – I mean, it wasn't like he was a problem child the entire time, but that was a fairly ugly incident, right?
8: Right. I know. I might. We'll, we'll see if Andy's up for that one. How about that?
1: Tell him I'm still <laughs> not um, over the fact that Andrew Gaze, like, dropped nine threes on Indiana in Denver in 89. That, that's probably a, a better memory for him. Right, Kevin?
8: You need to enter a Jeopardy contest on Indiana basketball from 1980 to 1995.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's it's a little bit frightening, I realize. you know That
2: one you don't even have to watch early, that edition that's of That's right. I don't, you can yeah, just that's participate live. Right. I don't have to watch and, to
1: Pika and then be a ringer in <laughs> Kansas City. Kevin, enjoy the weekend, and uh, good luck to your Irish. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. All Thanks, right, Kevin God. Bowen joining us on the program. Of course, Kevin, the Pride of Cathedral grew up in Carmel. Guy that coaches at Carmel has an important message and an important time of year, and it's one that's close to my heart as well. No pun intended. We'll explain next. Heard it from.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Friend uh, who? Come on now, Eddie. Heard it from a friend. Uh, you, you trying to show off my fabulous singing there?
3: <laughs> <If laughs> Yesterday, you you you're the one it. that
1: ended up with that song stuck in your head, right? That was
3: two days ago. If you say it or sing it, Eddie's going to save it. Now I've got a Jack Harlow song stuck
1: in my head. Well, that one will cleanse it right out, I can (laughs) promise you. Hey, today is not only Groundhog Day, but this is obviously February, which means two things. Number one, it means thank goodness January's over with. And Number two, it means it is American Heart Month. And look, I understand, folks. I totally get it. You know, I I probably mentioned more than I should the fact that I had a heart attack. Um, And before I had a heart attack, when people talked about it, I probably thought to myself, yeah, man, you had a heart attack. I get it. Although actually, I was always, genetically speaking, aware of the fact that it was the monster around the corner and doing everything I could to try to prevent it. And I couldn't prevent it, but I was able to survive it, perhaps- Uh, due to a lot of luck and maybe also due due to a little bit of um, prevention or preparation for it. A gentleman who joins us now on the program has gone through a similar circumstance. He is an assistant basketball coach at Carmel High School. Walt Morris joins us on the show. and Walt, I'm guessing that probably like me sometime around mid-july or so you thought to yourself yeah I hear people talking about that stuff but it kind of goes one in one ear and out the other and now all of a sudden it's got a little bit more resonance for you so I appreciate your time and your important message today how are you
6: great jake thank you it's excellent to be with you too and i I know you're really busy I'm you know I'm, I'm with you hundred percent I wouldn't have blown it off like basically what almost came symptoms there in July of 22 for a couple months ahead of time. You know, my dad had an aneurysm at 69 and I was told to talk to my physician about it. We didn't know it was an aortic dissection, made it through it, but I was basically uh, made the big mistake of not telling my physician, If so I would have told her. Because uh, they're not going to bring it up, and this is a, one of the big things I want to say is, your doctor's not, when you do a regular exam, it's not being checked for. Aortic dissections are not even talked about. So if you don't bring up your family history, they can't, they, you will not get the echocardiogram ultrasound, which basically eventually saved my life. at I'll
1: tell you what, I hate to do this, Well, let, Let's put them on hold for just a second and see if we can reconnect with a little bit better um, connection with Walt. I I apologize for that, but it's an important discussion. Aortic dissection is what he suffered on July the 25th. Um, I had what was called a myocardial infarction, which is essentially the fancy way of saying I had a heart attack, but there are different ways and different means in which the heart can strike one. Um, and I think that one of the important things to recognize or be aware of is exactly what Walt's talking about. And I think what both of us are trying to say, which is the fact that we, especially as men, and this is an important discussion for women and men, but uh, especially for men, we always kind of have that, that thought process of, well, I'm aware of it, but uh, I'll table that for another week. Or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm afraid of what I might learn. Uh, But Walt, that's the point here: is is letting people know of really kind of the simple measures where they can get ahead of it. Let's begin with this, um, because I am not a doctor, nor did I sleep in a Holiday Inn Express last night. What exactly is an aortic dissection?
6: It. I was born with two by. I was born with bicuspid valves, which come out of your aorta right next to your heart. You're supposed to have three, and that's from what I've learned about this. Um, that's what's killing 10,000 men a year, basically that, uh, from the leading cause of cardiovascular sudden death because you don't know it. And the echocardiogram ultrasound is the only way of detecting it. And if it's in your family history, if you don't have the right tests, uh, you're not going to know. And I should have not, I still should not be here. I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if my wife wasn't home that day when I had to shot a jaw pain after walking three miles, it knocked me to the ground. Uh, you know, got me to the hospital, uh, I wouldn't still be here because uh, I had jaw pain for a couple months ahead. The biggest one was I had trouble swallowing a couple times, where which is just crazy, and started sweating and wasn't eating anything. So I just, oh, really smart move by me. I just kind of blew that off. Right. Neck pain. Take some Advil, Walk. keep moving, get up. You know, you're getting older. Let's go to camp. Let's go coach. Let's go do whatever we're doing fight through it. And, uh, and then human nature, you don't want to think there's something wrong. And that's the thing you're talking about that you got to avoid. So, but I I understand too, nobody wants to find out they have this, but you don't want to get in my situation where they're, they do eventually do the ultrasound on your back. It's supposed to last a half an hour. It was a minute. They had me in an ambulance. Dr. Alva said, you have 30 minutes to live. They send me to Ascension heart hospital and I go through an 11-hour surgery uh, with the guy that's the last minute, Dr. Zanati. the last minute, you know, hope you make it. And they told me you had a 30% chance of making it. 11-hour surgery later, and they lost me at the end and then brought me back. Uh, that's what I'm telling men. If you find out ahead, or women, they can plan out your surgery, find it, make a game plan for it. My sister well, it was remarkable. Our whole family had that test after this happened to me and my sister's a year and a half older than me. Same bicuspid situation. She had the surgery last February. And that's what got me going about getting this message going. It was a five-hour surgery. She looks great now. But she was, a, they said, a month from having an aneurysm herself. So...
1: Well, I think in my case, and I, and I think it's why, you know, as I listen to you talk, You tell me if this makes sense, I guess. You know, my my situation was similar, right? Like, I probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. be here. I mean, I had a 100% blockage. I was, thankfully, five minutes from a hospital. I was probably a couple minutes away. Um, They had the paddles in there. They, you know, I mean, the whole deal, right? Yeah. And when you're going through it, you're kind of incredulous. It's a little bit out of body. And then when I walked out, well, I'll be honest with you. When I walked out of the hospital, I think the first question I had was to myself was I really did feel guilty. Um because yes. I felt guilty about all the people you know that didn't make it out, right? And and um and I don't know that I was deserving any more so than those that that weren't as lucky as I was or that you were. And so the only thing I could think to myself in that moment, Walt, was that I had a responsibility. How and can that, I help? Right. Yeah. Like, whatever it was that got me out of that room, I got to do what I can to make sure that other people don't go in there. That that was the only thing that I could think. And it was really hard, man. Like, it, well, it, it was, uh, you know uh, what I mean?
6: It was a 38-year-old man having the same surgery, me, that had two little kids at the same time. And I find out a month later he... He died that day, and I didn't, and that that was tough for a while, and uh, once I knew my sister got saved, kind of hit me one day out walking, because they said, the only thing you can do is walk, so I was just walking, and it came over me, like, what are you doing with this gift that you've been given? You know, what are you doing? Right. And exactly how you feel now, and uh, I'm just trying to uh, do that the best I can, and I want to continue. It's just not something I just want to do for a little bit,
1: you know? Take so, me through again, Walt um what your symptoms were and you know for me like retroactively I look back and I go, you know what maybe but mine was like basically an instant right because I had I had an instantaneous blockage you you your your body might have been telling you a little bit was. ahead of time and you weren't picking up the phone and it was getting frustrated so what was your body telling you
6: um it, it was just the gnawing jaw pain for four I'd say four to six months prior just but it wasn't every day right and then neck, neck pain um really not didn't have shortness of breath everybody's kind of a little bit different uh, but we're up at Purdue playing with coach Osborne and our kids and I went into uh, we got in eating and coach Painter and a bunch of people are around and I just had to leave because I thought I choked on some feet pe- and I didn't have anything in my throat and I could not breathe I mean it was bad and I'm sweating in there and I Started drinking water, and then it happens to me the next week, early July, and I don't say anything, and it was probably out of fear. Um, but six, six out of the seven days prior to my uh, aortic dissection attack, where the jaw pain shot through my face, I had done three miles every day, six of those seven days, walking and jogging. Yep. And that <laughs> I morning, that. Yep. I had one of the best cardiovascular mornings I had ever had. Right before it hit me, so it's it's a strange killer. Triathletes died from this. Texas's head football coach just had it when he was with Saban out there, and they saved him. Um, you know the, the the major rider from the soccer uh, World Cup. You know they found him in his hotel room at forty a couple summers ago. So um, that's why you know if Lisa's not home that day. When I when I came home and she was never home uh, she wouldn't have got me you know to Riverview hospital who kept me alive for a day before prior to that and uh, put me on an IV bag and then made me spend the night to have that test the mes- next morning um, now if if I just want to continue through you and anybody out there and this is it's really kind of caught on is any way I can get keep doing anything for anybody to get this message out to um, men and women because it's I don't think the 10,000 many years probably accurate but because I think there's a lot of people that are end up dead that they assume it's something else you know and um, so I'm just grateful I'm still here that I can do this and I'm going to spend the rest of my life you know trying to help like you are you know
2: Walt, where does it start from prevention standpoint? Is it listening to your body? Is it looking back at family history? Is it working up the courage to go see a doctor? If you're somebody that you know even thinks they have a family history of it, where do they start for prevention? You
6: do, yeah. If you, if family history, I think is the best because, like, if you, I talked to a young lady last Sunday at the the pacer game that was with us, you know, and her husband and. Her father had it a year ago at 62. And I said, Is there anybody else in your family? She said, My grandmother dropped dead from 57. And I said, You got to get in there. And she's in her 30s. That's the thing you got to do because if you get way ahead of it, then you your chances of them being able to watch it over the years and then get ahead of it with a planned surgery are much greater because you don't want to end up in my situation, you know, playing Rush Room if If I don't have the, the great doctors that somehow did this at the last second and all the timely things that happen um, usually don't make it out of that and then you know your body like you just said don't ignore it there's some there's, there's something going on that with me there's two or three times where for four or five months there that it was unusual and i just didn't i didn't want to think that that something was going on you know um and I think those are the two major factors. If if you have it in your family history, your father or an uncle or anybody that's ha- had this, tell your physician so they can, and then they'll set the test up for you that you need. You know, a
1: heart scan is very simple to mm-hmm. do. Um, most of the major hospitals, I know that Franciscan Health does them. Uh, Ascension does them. Community, where I was treated, does them. Those, those are the, you know, and obviously, as you'd mentioned, Walt, talking to your doctor ahead of time, getting the EKGs or the things that are necessary or a stress test. They're not, none of these are overly complicated. None of them are overly cumbersome. None of them are overly invasive. Um, That would be number one in my eyes. Number two would be this. And I think this is really important, Walt. Um, In my case, I knew what it was right away. And people ask me, as I ask people all the time, how do you know when you're having a heart attack? And I told them, you know, I mean, there's no denying what it is. And, your natural instinct, as was the case with me, is to get in the car and drive to the hospital. I would strongly encourage people to call 911 and have an ambulance because the ambulance can immediately begin treating you. Yeah, it might take four or five minutes for them to get there, but they can get the meds in you right away and call ahead so that the process is already beginning for them to have the room ready for you, essentially, when you get there. I'm sure that you know that drill, Walt. Um, <laughs> that's a- and the other thing I tell people, Walt, is this, and and look, you were talking about being in the gym, and I you know, I was in the gym a lot. I mean, I was running all the time. I still do. Yep. And I liken it to this, and I don't know if this is true, but it's the what I tell myself, Walt, for people. Every forty five minutes that you spend doing a cardio exercise, and it might just be walking, it could be running, it could be an elliptical, whatever it might be. But every forty five minutes that you are doing exercise you are given a penny and your penny Mm -hmm. goes into a piggy bank. And then when your heart is in a situation where all hell breaks loose, your heart basically says to you, look, I'll give you some extra minutes here for them to take care of you, but it's going to cost you a penny a minute. And how many pennies do you have stored up in your piggy bank? And I was really lucky by the grace of God, Walt, that I had enough pennies as were you. Um, but I think about it all the time, man. I mean, you know, in, in a third of the amount of time we've been talking is probably the amount of time that you and I aren't here doing exactly that. And I understand your message. I understand your importance and your obligation and your mission. And, you know, I'm right there with you, man, because if one person hears this, then they don't have to go through what we did and you don't want to have to go through it. And, you know, I mean, it sucked so bad as a North Central graduate, Walt, I was sitting there, and for that split moment, I probably would have said I'd even root for Carmel from time to time if you could get me out of that room. You know what I mean? And that says something,
6: right? But, well, and, you know, uh, my heart muscle was strong. I had no ch- cholesterol in any of my arteries, but you can't have your that your aorta right next to your heart blow up. You know, that's, and, yep. and those other things were strong, and that's a misconception. Uh of an aortic dissection and there, or, uh, the widow maker, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's why you got to get ahead of it and not ignore the jaw pain and the neck pain and the trouble breathing and the, the swallowing your esophagus. That's just not normal. And you got a great bet. You got a lot better chance. And that's what and somebody asked me early on last summer when this, we got this momentum going with this thing is what do you, want to achieve and i said i'm not going to know who i help that's not my job right
1: you just got to hope you got to hope right i mean right you know and here's the thing folks uh, in conclusion walt i appreciate it man best of luck to you best of luck to carmel and uh, obviously anything that i can do to help you get your message out in the future you let me know because um you know we're we're, we're in a fraternity and it's a fraternity that we're lucky to be in and no question about that even though we didn't call for it The responsibility is there, and I appreciate it, Walt. Right now, heart.org is the website for the American Heart Association for the month of February. Any gift you give is tripled, tripled for the American Heart Association in doing what we can to get the message out for everybody and to get healthy and happy hearts here in the month of February. We'll come back, put a bow tie on it, or a tie on it, and hand off to John next.
0: The Jay Cook Plays of the Day.
7: This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- boy way. This is how I win.
2: Today's Plays of the Day all in the NBA. The Spurs host the New Orleans Pelicans will take over two and a half blocks for Victor Wimanyama tonight of the San Antonio Spurs. Betting the Pacers outright has not worked, so John, let's do some scoopage. Give me scoop three and a half. Pacers, three-and-a-half point dogs tonight against the Kings, so we'll scoop three-and-a-half for the Pacers. In that same game, Pascal Siakam over 22 and a half total points. Eddie, you got anything? I'm going the other side, taking the Kings minus three-and-a-half. All right, there you go.
1: JMV has walked in, and John, sad news, man, right? Uh, this ruined my whole weekend right here easily. This is one of my all-time favorites. When I did the morning show with Terry Stacey, we did an interview once. Every once in a while, you tape interviews that don't actually air. I don't remember mm-hmm. why we didn't air it, but we did an interview with Carl Weathers. Yep. Most known, I mean, obviously from uh, Happy Creed. Gilmore, but Apollo Creed, his signature role. And it never aired, but then we did, one morning we decided to do a Hello Spring mock parade. People thought we really were downtown in a parade. And our grand marshal was Carl Weathers. And so we, we were like, Carl, how are you? And we had this audio cut up from an interview that we had taped with him. And it went off flawlessly. And then our next guest that we were supposed to interview at this mock parade on the radio is people are like, is there really a parade going on? The Carl Weathers interview got stuck in the system for Dan McGowan. And the next person that we were like, oh, look, there's, and I can't remember, you know, Florence Henderson, Florence, how are you? And it was Carl Weathers again saying, how are you guys doing? And Carl (laughs) Weathers ran the whole time. But Carl (laughs) Weathers passing away Uh, in his sleep at the age of 76. Might he be the greatest athlete to
2: have ever become an actor,
1: yeah, but well, I'll tell you this because he
2: was a football player. There's only Correct. one that would have a conversation there. And well, be- you
1: mean in terms of his? You mean in terms of the, the best athlete himself, or the or the best actor that happened to be an athlete? No, the be- the best uh, player turned actor. Yeah, and I know, like yeah. you know, Dick Butkus and I mean, yeah, like Jim Brown. Yeah, and, right. yeah. I mean, right. it, it, he was. Chiseled stone in Rocky Oh man, right? man. He was uh, in uh, Action Jackson In Jackson too Man uh, he was naked in there Yeah <laughs> What do you got coming up on a Friday We've here, John? we uh, Don Fisher is going to join us. We'll talk about IU Penn State tomorrow. Got a little Bob Lovell. We got sexual semifinals tonight for the girls and Wells will be in here. And I'm sure I'll probably take a beating from uh, the five points and the outstanding game of the Pacers in 133 last night. So I'm all ready for that. Can't uh, wait. This from Damon to close out the show. Jake is the spiritual advisor of the company. I just want to say thank you for today's show. Thank you for being real and speaking the truth. I appreciate the, spo- the show, Sports Plus Real Life. That's what we try to do here, man. And uh, I appreciate everybody participating with us on the day today. John is up next. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back with you Monday at noon. querying Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.